Hey, podcast listeners. This is a discussion between myself, TK Coleman, Steve Patterson, and Derek McGill, all of whom have been previous guests, TK, several times on this podcast. This is a discussion about Bitcoin. And we started flipping on the camera because we were always talking about this stuff privately, flipping on the camera and every couple of weeks doing these discussions just on Zoom and posting them up to YouTube for fun. And uh, they actually got a lot of traction, got a lot of views, a lot of interest. Several people asked me to put it in podcast format. Rather than spin up a new podcast, I decided to just post them right here on the feed for the uh, recently dormant Isaac Morehouse podcast. So what follows is a completely unedited, unfiltered discussion. You can also find it on YouTube if you want to see our wonderful faces between me, Steve Patterson, Derek McGill, TK Coleman on Bitcoin and Bitcoin related stuff. If you're not at all interested or familiar with crypto, there's some stuff that might be a little technical or a little inside baseball that might go over your head. But if I do say so, it's a pretty fun discussion anyway, and you might learn some things. Thanks. Gentlemen, I don't know if TK will be joining us or not. At some point, he may pop in, but we're back again. And uh, I want to know, since our last video discussing big block Bitcoin, BCH, BSV, pros and cons, likelihood of success of each, a lot's changed since then. That was what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. A whole lot has changed. I want to know what's changed with you in terms of your assessment of the odds of success for both of these coins. Well, I have my my Bitcoin Cash shirt, but I also have a Bitcoin SV mug. So I like <laughs> so to sneaky. keep people so you can questioning be, you can which be side a, I'm on. Accused of being a shill for both. Yeah, and, exactly. And on your bomb shelter, you have a, a BTC sticker, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on my hey, bomb okay, shelter. Okay. <laughs> I, I would be remiss if I didn't start poking a little fun. I just sent you guys a link. I don't know if you had time to watch it. I watched it. I was it. on Twitter right before we started. And it was funny because I was just watching a few clips of the CoinGeek conference to see some of these talks that I was interested in. And then right after I popped off of that onto Twitter before we started this call, there was like a promoted tweet or something that was like a one minute recap of this BTC conference that apparently happened, unconfiscatable. You, you couldn't do a better job of making it look sad if you tried to. <laughs> I mean, they like had exciting music, but the whole minute long montage just kept being the same different angles of pictures of like five or 10 panelists on a stage at the same time in a very, very darkly lit room. A bunch of real sort of squirrely, funny looking like basement dwelling types. I'm not trying to riff on people, but just yeah. a little <laughs> odd. And they just kept showing shots of them. There was because well, no there was audience. no audience. There was there no was, people. No one there was, was there. no shots of like people milling around, talking the typical B footage you get. It just looked really. I got to be honest. It looked really sad. Now, yeah, it was no like Tone Vase and Adam back and and and. For uh, all I know, there could have been a ton of people there. Maybe it was a great conference, but I saw it and I was like, "Wow, this looks more like a, a funeral, like a wake, compared to the CoinGeek conference, which all the footage I saw and stuff was like." Hey, this looks pretty interesting. It had a lot of energy and life, just the colors, the aesthetic. Um, so you can say what you will about them based on their Twitter presences, but 
if I'm, if I'm going to go to an event, I certainly don't want to go to one with a promo video that was that sucky. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll talk about CoinGeek because as you guys know, I was there. Um, you were our man on the ground. Did yeah. they give you a, a press pass as a, as a member of this esteemed show? They did give me a, they did give me a media pass. Calvin and the team were very nice to let me come for free uh, on a media pass. So that was good. Nice. Um, so I watched that video and it just, it was a good reminder to me what it feels like in BTC is a relatively small group of thought leaders who want to maintain their position of authority in the community. And, and that's really what it's about. It's about keeping this gravy train going where they can go to conferences and they can be respected, right? They're all playing that prestige game. They all want to be up on stage on their panel, you know, talking like they're experts. But you can imagine in a world where Bitcoin actually succeeded, someone like Tony Vase has like, or Tone Vase or whatever his name is, has like no authority. Like, like nobody listens to him when Bitcoin becomes big. It's, it's when Bitcoin is a small hobby group mm. that's, that if, someone like Tone Vase has any relevancy. If you can't kill Bitcoin protocol changes or force them through UASF or Twitter mobs, then what happens to all those people, right? Mm -hmm. It's like an actual enterprise-ready, large-scale software system. What happens to that? <laughs> to that? Oh, TK just voxed me. He said he's he said he's coming on in a couple minutes. So there we oh, go. Nice. Good, We're, good. TK. Finally, TK's um, coming. Steve, so, so yo, go, go okay. ahead, Derek. Go ahead. Well, I'll let Steve go, and then I want to talk about CoinGeek. When TK gets here, I think me. we should give him the floor first, since we abused him <laughs> last time. <laughs> we, we all all apologize. Yeah, mea culpa. Yeah, so my thought is, uh, it, man, these past few months have been pretty crazy in Big Block Bitcoin. And I was very interested to see in the CoinGeek conference whether or not there were any signs that it had moved outside of the hobby phase because when I look at you know one of my constant criticisms of BSV is where are the actual businesses there's cool startup projects and hobby things and proofs of concept okay but where are the actual businesses there was one talk in particular that stuck out in my mind which was a healthcare company that was talking about putting the healthcare records on the blockchain and, and the, they had like three different presentations and they were saying, you know, we have multiple silo databases and have one global database with a built-in currency would be super valuable. And they're working with InChain to come up with this, this system. And they were saying things like, uh, I think the, the first project they're going to try to build out a, a proof of concept for is um, something about the opioid crisis. They're going to try to um, use the BSV blockchain for opioid-related documents. and. At the end, they were saying this project alone is like millions of transactions that would be used to upload all the data and move it where it needs to be moved. And yeah, millions per like per like day or week or so, something yeah, like something, that. Like, something like crazy a, like, like that. billions a year. They would say. Well, I think he was saying that the um, the whole healthcare world would be something yeah, like that's billions. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so that that type of scale and ambition and a legit huge business that is now working with Engine to be building something on BSV, that to me uh, was a very big deal. So I think, I think if they get anything that's usable in that company, that's going to be I, that one company like that, I think secures the inevitable um, existence of BSV in the future, literally one company. And also it's going to be this 
huge signal, this bright neon sign flashing that BSV blockchain is now open for enterprise business and it's being used in the real world. So that to me was a hugely bullish sign for BSV. And I know that kind of project's not going to happen on BCH because of the culture in BCH, because the usage is supposed to be restricted to just payments from the uh, a lot of the um, individuals, the, the developers. And on top of that, you have, looks like BCH is going to fork now because Omri Sachet uh, is trying to do a money grab. Uh, as I was warning about for a long time, this dude is trying to become the next Blockstream. And we can go into the, the details more, but it looks like it's very plausible that there's going to be a fork in BCH, which I think if BCH forks, it's probably the end of BCH. So yeah, my opinions have shifted over the last few weeks. Yeah, um, that point about the transaction volume and the point you made about one company securing the existence of, of BSV, that's that's absolutely true, I think. I mean, that, that, and that's being there watching them, it really drove home how important one or two enterprise use cases are. Because if you're talking about how to pay miners with large volumes of transactions, I don't think you're ever going to get there in the time frame necessary in order to do it through getting merchants to accept it and getting people to use it in payments. Like you need some kind of large profitable reason for some big company to use use the blockchain and that was it and that that's not like some random company too the the, the founder has been in healthcare for a long time uh, he's an older older guy and has started several successful companies um so he's like a legit a legit businessman not some you know fly by night guy like uh, maybe the narrative likes to say that these are all just paid actors i don't think this guy needs the money i think he's trying to just start something new um and um and what's cool about all of this is like the next step. It's it's not just uh, it's not just the enterprise now using the blockchain. The, the real goal, and this was something that I saw at the conference, just hammered home, was people earning money through their data. And so, if you're a some, someone with healthcare data on that blockchain, you're able to actually sell that information to companies. I mean, that's the key yeah. because uh, I've been I've been thinking just more and more about the onboarding challenges and the, the, the reason why people don't want to use it in commerce. Cause I, I use Bitcoin in commerce pretty regularly, but the reason is cause, cause I, I, I will earn Bitcoin, but the idea of buying it on, on an exchange and paying the fees and concurring tax liabilities and all that stuff that comes with it and then using it in commerce for a merchant, like that's stupid. I mean, that just makes no sense to me at all. Um, and I think BSV right now seems to be the only one that is, uh, is focused on allowing people to actually earn it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, I, I actually did that point about selling your data to companies. I thought this was really interesting. I was talking to Julia about it. I have no idea how if this could actually be pulled off or it just sounds good, but I do want to talk about the concept just because it's awesome, ambitious. So you think about a healthcare company, uh, or let, let's say a drug manufacturer. <clears throat> they need high quality information, the higher quality information and the better drugs they can craft and create. Yo, TK. TK. $5 BSV. What's <laughs> <laughs> happening, fellas? It's been a while. Good, yeah. good to see you, man. Steve's going to finish his point and then we're giving the floor yeah. right to you, man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, TK, I was just talking about um, one of the talks at the BSV conference was this healthcare company talking about uploading data to the blockchain, which was really interesting. And there was one part of that talk where he was 
describing selling your data to healthcare companies. And so I thought this was a really ambitious idea that if it were possible to be able to access your own health data, either you track your own health metrics or you track uh, your responses to particular drugs, you were to bundle that information together, that would be incredibly valuable for drug companies. So you just having a way to record your own health data could be something, it's weird to think about, but it could be something that you can literally sell to other people if it's high enough quality. Now, that's a really neat concept that uh, it was cool to hear. That's a very, very ambitious thinking. I don't know if it could be done with, with the, the blockchain, but if it could, damn, that sounds pretty awesome. I need yeah. one of those point tickers like the ESPN show around the horn so I can give points to people as they talk. <laughs> maybe, we'll okay. find, maybe we'll find a sponsor and we'll, we'll get uh, someone to uh, yeah, and it will, fund it will. some like high quality production value or something. Then I feel like our, our, our viewership would probably <laughs> yeah. go down. Probably. Every time I give a, a point to somebody, it's like a transaction. That's, it's like a money button. You get a couple <laughs> cents. Yes. TK, man, tell us something. Yeah, well, first, I want to explain why I disappeared for a while, because I know I haven't been interacting on our Voxer thread for like the past few weeks. Can I you get a little louder, man? Your <laughs> he, mic is quiet. It's because TK is now a multimillionaire after investing in BSV a while ago. <laughs> dropping, dropping every second. <laughs> <laughs> TK, so did you sell everything off and that's what, what caused the price to dip? <laughs> am, I still, am I still quiet? Can you hear me? It's not too bad. Hold on, man. All right. Well, he's getting his microphone. Permit me. Set up. I got to get. Oh, that sounds better right there. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts that, that I have, and we've gotten some pretty animated discussions uh, over our Voxer thread over the past few weeks on this. And I've, I've come fully uh, the direction that I think was always logical, but I was kind of resisting. Um, on the BSV side, you know, I, th I think the only, hey, look, it's come down to this. <laughs> the only thing that had me bullish for BCH was Roger Ver. And the only thing that had me bearish for BSV was Craig Wright. And those are no longer no. sufficient. The weight of the things that matter to me are too large in favor of BSV having a better chance to succeed, if you just forget about Craig Wright on the BSV side, and the number of things that make BCH look like a stupid little children's playground at this point are too large yeah. if you take away Roger Ver. And, and that's I, it. And now you can say, well, why would you take away those two players? They're the <coughs> biggest players in those respective coins and they matter. They do matter. But the overall weight of everything else has just gotten too great to where I'm like, I just can't. I, was, I would waffle back and forth on which one I thought had a better likelihood of success. Now I just feel like almost everything is on the BSV side of the ledger in terms of probability of success. I'm not saying which one I like better. I'm not saying yeah. which one has the moral high ground. I'm purely talking <laughs> odds of succeeding. And I'll tell you, if I'm thinking like an investor, you could say, oh, well, that healthcare guy, that business isn't going to work. Oh, well, weather SV, that application isn't going to work. Oh, and all those might be true. But it doesn't matter if that individual business works or not. There is no other blockchain that I know of currently in existence that has people even saying they are going to try to do right. millions of transactions, that are saying they want to do that, that are saying this is possible. 
No one else is even trying. So if those individual businesses, if those particular applications don't work, that's not relevant. The point is, what other conference would a business get up there and even try to do that? Would even say that they want to do that? Who would be cheering that? I don't see it anywhere else. And I don't think merchant retail level adoption, which just makes life less convenient for customers at this point and stores, is going to get you scale fast enough. I think the only way to scale fast is enterprise facing massive amounts of data and people trying to do that. That's a crazy ass, rebuilding the entire way we think about data. What, what, what Bitcoin did originally for us, the idea of it as money was taking something that was non-scarce, which is digital information, making it scarce through some technological in innovation and putting it into an incentive structure that made that sustainable over the long term. That's, that was turning it into money. That was turning data into money. But you can turn data into any kind of property. And owning your data, scarcifying a previously non-scarce resource that could only be owned by somebody who had tons of computing power to put it into a database or own the platform, and saying now data can be broken down and individually owned and sold and transacted with in this distributed way, whether that's going to work or not, that's a compelling vision that I would love to see work, that I would love to invest in working. And none of the other visions are like anything like that anymore. BCH has descended into, I can't even tell what the vision is anymore. It's just, it's like, it's just depressing. So yeah. I've come, I've come all the way to that point. Now that the, the Craig Wright thing, the dude is crazy. He might've stolen some code from Satoshi. He might be Satoshi. He might be lying about the whole thing. I don't know. He's, yeah. that's a crazy story one way or the other, but BSV, I got to say it's got me now. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, yeah, you can say, see, I told you so if you want. Yeah, let's let let's let 2K brag a little bit. He's like, I, I've known this for months. <laughs> you know, hey, man, I, I'm just a humble guy that's only been in crypto for a short amount of time. I really want to have that 2K speak, though, because otherwise we'll get otherwise we'll get uh, down a rabbit hole. He was he was going to say some stuff. No, no, no. I, I was just actually going to crack a few jokes, but I, I don't really have a conversation <laughs> with Only Steve will be the only one laughing at my jokes anyway, so... <laughs> No, no, man. But you know, it's it's funny because uh, you know when when people talk about predictions, they always emphasize like the wrong predictions that have been made on behalf of BSV. You know, like predicting that the price will be up twelve hundred, predicting that you know Craig will destroy BTC or whatever it may be. And, and whenever those predictions don't come true, that's all people pay attention to. But there are an awful lot of predictions that have been made about the death of BSV, and I think it's far more interesting that none of those predictions have ever come true and they look less and less likely with each passing day. And so um, I, I think BSV is making the case for a significant amount of resiliency here. Um, all of the things that it's doing, um, we've been told over and over again that these things can't happen. It's going to implode. It's going to spam the blockchain. It's going to be 51% attack and it keeps on surviving. And it keeps on growing. And like Isaac said, um, you know, I, I mentioned this the first time we talked that the thing that interested me most about BSV is when I saw what they were trying to do with data storage, with the MetaNet. And then I looked at what everyone else was saying about it. They were all dismissing that as either silly or superficial. And I said, wow, they're not just competing. They don't even get it. So yeah, it's, it's cool to hear you guys say this. I, I know one thing I love to talk about is I love to kind of go back to a lot of the objections and concerns that you all had before. And I like to know your reasons for why, why they don't matter now or why they don't matter as much. 
I, I, we've only heard from Isaac so far, but I, I, I do want to hear about you guys if you kind of agree with Isaac, like, hey, I'm, I'm sold on BSV now. And then I love to just kind of bring up some things y'all brought up to me before and see what, see what your response to them okay. would be. You know, I, want, I want some atonement. I, would, I wouldn't say I'm sold, TK. I would say <laughs> I am sold that of the versions of Bitcoin or, or crypto more generally that I see in the world today, it by far is the one that is the most interesting and I think has the highest probability of success. I still don't say that its probability of success is tremendously high compared to no crypto succeeding, nor do I say that I'm like, I'm in the church of BSV. I just, it excites me the most and I think it has the greatest odds of, of winning. I'm not loyal. I'm loyal to whatever I think is, is going to help win. So in that sense, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. And we all agree, right, that, that the success isn't inevitable. There, there's the blockchain battle, which BSV is winning, but then there's the battle with the real world, which still needs to be won. Yeah. So I think the, the best analogy I've heard, which is... Uh, which you gave TK and it's bothered me so much because it was such a damn good analogy was, I think it was a few conversations ago. You said, it's like, you've got, you got two people, one that used to be a really strong guy, but he got fat. And the other guy that's like in the gym all the day and he's gaining strength. And you said, it's like BSV is the dude that's in the gym all the day. He's getting stronger and stronger. And then the case, the BCH is like, you're trying to persuade the fat guy to get back in the gym. And it's like, he's kind of sluggish and doesn't want to do it. That's just such a good analogy that yeah. I, I hate it. And that the story has been playing out. And the reason that my perspective has shifted um, a little bit more in BSV's direction is because I see that there is a gigantic personnel problem in all of crypto. Um, like Isaac, you said, BCH, you're, you, it's hard for you to, I don't know, lose faith in it because of Roger Veer. And then Craig Wright is the person in BSV. That seems like a, li a big liability. I totally agree with that. But it seems to me that uh, Craig Wright is diminishing in his relative influence because there's all these other projects that are being built on it. And now you've got this big old business that's coming in being built on it. And the culture is still, we're going to have a stable protocol. Nobody's screwing with it, which I like. So that's trending the right direction. And then in BCH, I think Roger is still probably the most influential person in BCH, but we've seen that influence does not extend far enough to prevent a coin from maybe being forked. So outside of Roger and a few, maybe a few other people who are more behind the scenes who are in BCH that I think are, are great, I think the majority of people are not high enough quality in BCH to say that. Unfortunately, I just think it's a personnel problem. And the, and, the, and the biggest liability in my mind on BSV is obviously Craig Wright. And that, I think that, uh, I think his influence, his, his relative influence is, is diminishing, which I see as a bullish sign. However, I will say one more thing. I did see um, uh, Calvin Ayer said the silliest thing the other day. He said, oh, if you invest in BSV, you're investing in Craig Wright. And I was like, no, no, anything but that. <laughs> that, that was, uh, I don't think that was Calvin. That was, um, no, that was, wasn't it no, Calvin? Calvin responded to that. Uh, it was, uh, it was another guy. Just well, another, another guy said that. And Calvin responded and Calvin said something about. I'm pretty sure Calvin said thought, something about, Calvin or agreed with Cal that Calvin, sentiment. I wouldn't, I think it was someone else, but I. Yeah. But I agree yeah. like, the, like the liability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I agree that that's a bad sentiment. Like that's a, yeah. someone, someone in BSV, it was either Calvin or it was, someone said it. 
To your <laughs> point, Steve, it, it kind of got to the point where I felt like for me to, to believe BCH has a legitimate chance of being something massive, it would require all of the good guys to win. And the, the small number, it, they would really, they would have to be the dominant influence yeah. in a very strong way, which isn't necessarily the best sign for a community. Whereas BSV, it got to the point where I'm like, it seems to matter less and less over time whether Craig Wright goes to prison, becomes proven right, or becomes in this muddled, is he lying, is he not? He doesn't yep. have to win or yep. lose necessarily for what I think BSV can do. And that doesn't seem to be true on BCH. And that's, that's you know, part of where the, the, the optimism yeah. shifted from well, I think BSV. Everyone tends to get wrapped up in, in the, the unimportant things. Like, and and I, I, I'm starting to think, like, if I'm Craig, you know, a brilliant strategy is to say a bunch of insane things or things that you know people in crypto will find completely intolerable and drive them away. And so that smart people see, see through and see the most important things that are being actually done behind the scenes. So when he's up there saying like, anyone on my network, my network, everyone's, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, BSV is centralized. And I'm like, okay, but he, he can say my network, right? But in, until I see some kind of evidence that he actually has, a, uh, is going to do something insane or he has enough power to do something insane, um, I don't. I don't really see a problem with it. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, yeah, I disagree with it, obviously, but it doesn't really matter necessarily. Whereas everyone else is going to be like, "Oh, that's horrible! I'll never invest because Craig said that one." Thing. Whereas when Amari Sachet says it's it's my yeah. when he uh, says he's going to sell it to exactly. acting on for twenty million dollars, and then, and, and, and then he puts, and then he writes code that changes the economics and pushes it through and says, literally in Telegram says. People are deciding that they would rather fork than pay me this much money, so that's okay. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> okay. when that when that kind of thing is said, and no one says, "Hey, that sounds very centralized. That sounds very dictatorial. That sounds like a complete." You know, the reality is, uh, economic players on BSV, the more enterprise businesses that get involved, under the premise that SV node is not going to change the more economic uh, power they have and the less likely I think things will be to change. I mean, there's going to reach a certain point where there's going to be some serious um, liability associated with trying to push through, through big changes because there's going to be businesses on the chain who can't have previous transactions invalidated. And when you think about you've got a multi-million dollar or billion dollar enterprise using the blockchain for data, if some developer tries to screw with that, I mean there's going to be some kind of liability associated with that. That's not going to be an easy fight to win right now where it's, you know, it's uh, where, where something is small, a developer can write, you know, pay me this and write it into the code and no one does anything. Yeah. And I think this is one of the cultural points that's so important is when, when the expectation is that the protocol is not going to change and we're essentially done with new ideas at the protocol level, it reduces the risk indefinitely of personnel problems because it does, there are so many crazies in BSV. It's, I mean, they're definitely a cult. Some online percentage in particular. of particular. Yes. Online in particular, there's definitely a cult. Of course, that's in every crypto, but it, it, it's very clear that Craig has created some kind of a cult around him. However, if the protocol is TK's effectively like, yeah, yeah, not yeah, I'm going in to... It. I'm in it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> TK is one of the members. <laughs> uh, 
if the protocol is not going to change it, that's, and, and from a cultural standpoint, nobody will allow you to get away with changing the protocol. And it doesn't matter if you have a bunch of crazies. You don't have the same existential threat as you do in every other crypto in which it's always on the table for the protocol to change. Yeah, when I have to sit around and read Reddit debates because I'm legitimately scared that some a couple of Redditors or people in Telegram are going to actually influence the protocol yep. development. Yep. I mean, that's a very scary, scary thing to invest in. Um, I'd love to talk about CoinGeek a little bit because it's all relevant. Like, <clears throat> Yeah, yeah um, I'd, I'd love to get some of your some of your thoughts. I'll give you like the takes and then we can, we can talk about it a little, little bit. So the first thing, yeah, I want to, I want to say is piggyback off the, the point about the, there being a cult. It's, it was fascinating to me when I got there, because if you go to like, if you go to like Bitcoin cash SV Reddit, uh, it like definitely is a cult. It's like, there's like crazy people saying things that are absolutely false. Uh, there's people saying that, you know, they're going to put Roger Ver in jail and extradite Do him. Dr. To- Craig was right. All the fat yeah. dealers are being rounded up. Yeah. Or they say <laughs> things like there was a funny one the other day where they were saying, see, Craig says Bitcoin could be seized. He's right. It's frozen. And I'm like, okay, but like the way he said it was going to be seized is completely different. All they did was arrest the guy. And say <laughs> right. that you have. They put a court order saying, if you send your Bitcoin, we're going to charge you with additional crimes. They didn't like get the miners to literally right. freeze it, you know, but everyone's like gloating and bragging. And it's like, that has literally nothing to do with what was being talked about. It's not a miner mining an invalid transaction, right? It's a completely different thing. It's literally just like, we have a gun to your head, give us your money. Yes, that can happen. And any of the core people who think that's not going to happen, like they're idiots. I, I know that narrative has been pushed. They're totally idiots, but that's different than what was being said. So anyway, there's a lot of stupid stuff online, a lot of like ridiculous talk. But then when I went to the event, I saw like a thousand people there almost. Um, and it was very professional. It was, everyone was very nice. Everyone was very respectable. I asked a lot of people about those questions. Like, what do you guys think about some of the online behavior? And I asked a lot of people this and I asked about the stuff about government and talking to people who going to jail and pretty much every one of them with, with very few exceptions said like, that's pretty stupid. I don't really agree with that. Uh, yeah, most, a lot of us are ANCAPs. Um, and uh, we, uh, uh, you know, just kind of think a lot of that stuff's just like trolling or, or, or dumb behavior, right? It was a very weird impression to get because if you look online, it's like, oh, BSV is just like a handful of trolls who are, you know, commenting on everything and who worship everything Craig and Calvin do. But then in person, it, it felt like it was the exact opposite. Um, now, I went to a CoinGeek event pre-split in Hong Kong, and there were more people at this event. So more people at this exclusively BSV event than there were BCH BSV, which was, was pretty shocking to me as well. Um, and uh, I think the most important thing was just the level of discussion and ambition. Nobody was talking about changing the protocol. Everyone was talking about these really neat entrepreneurial ways they could solve protocol <coughs> issues on top of the protocol without actually editing the protocol. It, it seemed um, like... Different ways to handle it wasn't talk about what's the protocol going to do in the future and sharding and all these like highly technical theoretical things. It was like, how do we change the future of the internet and the way data is sent? How do we bring on massive amounts? And it, and it wasn't talk about, hey, we got another sticker on another hot dog stand. It was like, yeah. hey, we're going for something huge from, from the few things that I saw and scanned, which again, it was just appealing. Derek, you made one comment when you were there at the conference. You said there was a couple interesting ideas about um, 
people being able to earn earn money for running a node from other people that want to, you know, through micropayments. And, you know, because it's been one of those things, well, if you yeah. make nodes too expensive, no one will run them. And the idea of running a node as a, you know, and letting other people selling access to it. And you said something interesting. You said, it's so simple. That's just a, an entrepreneurial or economic solution to a, what has been perceived as a protocol or technical problem. And you have BTC and now it appears BCH. Every perceived problem, even ones that are like a couple years down the road, they think of as a technical problem that you got to solve with code. Well, what happens yeah. if protocol developers can't be funded? I can't imagine a way that lighthouses could be funded without the government. So we better have government funds for lighthouses, right? It's a public good. And it's like we, they, this burden this burden of these great developers who must solve every human problem at the protocol the code, level yeah. and get it right before it's ready for prime time versus, no, we don't care. Like, we're just going to have humongous blocks. And then someone's like, hey, you know what I could do? I could run a node and I could charge people to access that node. That's an entrepreneur's solution. It creates the same end result, but it's not a technical solution. It's not a coder's yeah. solution. You know, it's a business solution. I thought that was a really profound insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's other guys, you know, doing things with zero comp where, you know, there's a business model where they're going to offer insurance on zero comp transactions. I mean, that to me is like, that's fascinating. I mean, maybe it works or maybe it doesn't, but I, I could see a world in which people are, are, are doing things like that as a way to solve, you know, when, when a business actually needs a zero comp transaction to be very, very secure. Something like that would be interesting. Um, and that was just the, the story over and over again. Exactly. It's, it's people looking for entrepreneurial solutions to, to protocol problems because they're not seeing the protocol as something that is like their own personal science project or their own personal startup where they're supposed to be, you know, constantly, constantly tinkering with things based on these theoretical problems that could arise. Or, or piggy bank. Yeah. Or piggy bank. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, I guess overall, I mean, I was, I was just, I was very impressed with the, uh, with the level of discussion, um, there's a big emphasis in a, a culture around making money and success. Whereas like in DCH, I still see, in BTC, I, I see a lot of like open source projects that have no profit model and let's all figure out how we can donate to these people. And almost nobody was talking about that. It, it was all about how can I actually make a profitable business or, that or, doesn't or require- pitching at and attacking uh, Bitcoin Unlimited because they have a bunch of money or Bitcoin.com yeah. because they've made a bunch of money and being like, you guys are rich. Why aren't you funding more? Like it's the most, it's the most like the most, stupid looking thing. Yeah. It's so, it's such an yeah. embarrassing look. Yep, exactly. And there was none of that. And, and then it, one, one thing that was really funny to me was, was, okay, so all of these discussions around funding protocol are, are taking place right now in BCH and there's all this drama and there's talk of a fork. And uh, like Steve said, we kind of predicted this stuff was going to happen months and months ago. And so it was kind of funny to watch all these people who gave us all this shit and said <laughs> we, were, we were horrible people and bad actors and all this other crap now uh, change their tune a little bit, be some of the loudest people speaking out against ABC. Um, yep. But... Uh, Shatters, Steve Shatters brought all the Bitcoin SV node people onto the stage and there were 18 full-time employees. And it's like, okay, I mean, there's a very professional looking group of people. They have a larger team than you guys. They're all paid full-time. I mean, I mean, it's hard to compete. Maybe the idea that Bitcoin nodes are public goods is the idea that needs to be challenged. Right. And, and what I see is a lot of the fundamental premises that BTC had that were wrong 
have been imported into BCH. They haven't actually challenged some of the base ideas. Um, and that's one of them. And so I think as long as they accept ideas like that, that there are public goods in Bitcoin that uh, are, are, are unfundable, you know, unless we have some kind of in uh, mass charity or tithing or some other stupid crap, then, then there's, there's nothing exciting for me there. TK sitting back like, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> this whole time, you're just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, yeah, CoinGeek was, was fun. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more I could talk about. I want to do an article on, on kind of my impressions. Um, but, okay, well, uh, maybe, maybe to, to TK's point, let's touch on the things that are, that are maybe still um, objections or, or risk surfaces or points of disagreement with BSV, I'll, I'll start with one just as a humorous anecdote, which kind of highlights the overall thing. So I, I go to watch some of the videos of the CoinGeek thing and I, I turn it on and it opens with, with Jimmy Wynn up there. And uh, he's like, you know, Bitcoin is light. Bitcoin is <laughs> yeah. truth. This is a very religious sounding thing, but he's like, it is the single source of truth, immutable, a ledger where things are verifiable, public, honest, honest, truthful, provable, honest. And I'm thinking, and <laughs> Craig Wright has literally no proof, no clear, immutable proof of any one of his claims. And in fact, anytime he has even so much as tried to create proof, it has only been the opposite of light and pure and visible and transparent and immutable. It's like weird backdating, all this crazy, like forgeable copy. And it's just so funny that the message is so loud that like, we want to prevent all of this stuff. And it's like Craig's entire game has been obfuscation and avoidance and evading of everything from taxes to proof and all the stuff that he raised. It's just like the, the insanity of that alone is worth chuckling at, at the, in the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fun things going, there's, there's a lot of hilarious <laughs> things about these, about BSV. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's like, those things I can laugh at and not care that much, like like because they don't feel like they're fundamental to whether BSV succeeds. Mm. You know? They're fundamental to the prestige game. Yeah, they're fundamental yeah. if you're playing the prestige game, but I'm not sure that prestige game matters that much. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, I think if you play it too much, you're you're probably playing the wrong game. I mean, I think that the crypto world could be in for a very rude shock if BSV manages to get a couple enterprise businesses actually using this yeah. profitably. Yeah. You know, because it's going to happen overnight, and everyone's going to be like, "Wait a minute, you can't do that. That's yeah. that doesn't line up with our value structure." Yeah. and it's going to be like, "Well, nobody cares because we're making money." DK, and, I want to ask that's you really all they seem to be focused on because you seem the least discomfited by the antics of Craig Wright. Is there anything that could happen to Craig or that he could do that would make you say, oh, this is really bad for BSV? I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, I think Craig Wright is is the perfect man for for Bitcoin because it is only a person like him that that can demonstrate the superiority of the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> over the reputation of any particular individual. Um, I mean, right, because everyone always gives lip service to the idea that it doesn't matter who Satoshi is. I'll give you an example. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos was asked the question like, who, who do you think Satoshi is? And he gave the usual answer, right? Like, I don't care, it doesn't matter. Um, and then someone says, but what if Satoshi's a bad person? 
or or like Satoshi owns, you know, X amount of coins like there and, and they raise all these scenarios about how if Satoshi is a terrible human being, it could damage Bitcoin. And he continued to say what everyone in crypto has always said. It doesn't matter. I don't care if Satoshi is the devil himself. The only way that you can test that theory is not by having the God like Satoshi that everyone wants, but by having a Satoshi who truly forces us to be consistent with our beliefs. Craig Wright is the devil of crypto, right? Everybody has united. They can't unite over anything else, but they unite against this one man by, by calling him a fraud. And, and, and yet BSV is the only blockchain that, that, that is becoming increasingly invulnerable to the concerns that we can have about a particular individual. But, but here, here's why I, I, I answer your question the way I did. Um, in a conversation with Steve, one of the things you know that, that I mentioned there is um, I don't think people think very critically and carefully about their their philosophy of implication, right? Most people think about their philosophy of justification. You know, what what sorts of reasons do we need to have for a belief? But they don't think about the philosophy of implication, like like what does it actually mean for something to be true? Because some truths are just not very important. They don't really change anything. And so there are two questions we need to ask about Craig Wright. The first question is, is Craig correct about X, X being any given proposition? The second question is, is X the sort of thing that Craig needs to be correct about in order for BSV to win? And that second one almost gets entirely ignored, so much so mm -hmm. that if Craig were to predict who wins next year's Super Bowl and he were wrong, people would actually be silly enough to use that as a reason for not trusting BSV. Well, and there's there's this way that, you know, you would hear that and you'd think, well, no, nobody would actually do that about BSV. But think, this is Craig we're talking about. He has a way of making you suddenly, because he, he wouldn't just predict it. He would predict it with certainty in a really annoying way. He would attack people who disagreed with it. He would claim that those people are going to lose tons of money when his prediction ends up being right. And then he would sue people who said that his prediction was false. And pretty soon you'd find yourself literally dismissing BSV because of his Super Bowl prediction, because it's like he does it in such a way where he almost makes it impossible for you to ignore because <laughs> well, it's he, so in your face. So here's one, here's one uh, contrary point to that. <clears throat> if you have a coin, which is in practice centralized around one human, like BCH is demonstrating it is with Omri, then it, it becomes important to get a bead on the reasoning process of that individual who has that power. So if Omri Sachet, actually this is, I can tell you a true story. Um, uh, I think part of the reason I was banned from uh, this discussion channel is because uh, I'm unimpressed by most people's claims of mathematical knowledge because I've researched this area from a philosophical approach. I have discovered a shocking truth that uh, a lot of contemporary mathematical claims are based on dubious philosophical assumptions that are go totally unexamined. And so uh, in, this, in, in this thread before I was banned, there were several people who were trying to say that, you know, my ideas are uh, totally crazy and they revealed they hadn't even the most elementary understanding of the subject matter. Amri Sachet uh, equated um, mathematical intuitionism which is a philosophical approach on what math, what math is about. He equated it with flat eartherism and, 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 and was saying, well, I, I, 
you know, this is like flat earth rhythm and I'm very good at mathematics and blah, blah, blah. And so what that, what that is very important for me when somebody makes a, an incorrect, a confident, incorrect claim like that, because they reveal that their method of thinking is dramatically flawed, at least in that area. So if, if I thought that Omri was really the, the, the center of the network, if you will, on BCH, and I have a bead that his, he's not, he's made some big conceptual errors, that now becomes important to me when evaluating the prospects of a project. So if Craig is actually the dude who's at the center that controls things, and we have a bunch of information that he's... He truly believes his incorrect predictions. Now that becomes important. Now, if he may, I'm not sure that Craig truly believes his predict predictions, like Amory believes that in mathematical intuition is, is, is like flat earthism. But that that would be one justification for saying, "Hey, look, this person is doing the crazy talk, and they're this important figure. So maybe there's a problem with the project." Yeah, I think I think when we were uh, when we were sort of looking at things back. Back in like September, when we both kind of started talking a lot about, oh my God, this is going to get really bad very quickly, um, and and we we started getting more active again. Um, it was based largely on like what some important people in Bitcoin Cash were saying and the implications of what they were saying. Uh, so I, th I think it matters in terms of understanding what their practical. What they're actually going to do in practice, you want to understand what their fundamental premises that they've accepted are. Yes, and it's not just their ideas; it's also critically the the method of reasoning. Yeah, because the these of, yeah. things are not, you know, areas of thought are not in fact totally divorced from one another. You import methodology from one area into another into another area. So whenever you see errors in reasoning, it's usually a, a reflection of a big problem that's inevitably going to be ported into the area that you care about. But now I've got to, now I've got to defend Craig because it's like Craig, Craig is such an enigma because he will say these things that are, are complete nonsense and, and totally crazy. Um, but for some of the fundamental things that matter, I, <laughs> I find very hard, very, I find it very difficult to disagree with him. Um, and so I, I tend to think now, having watched this play out over and over and over again, that he almost cannot believe some of the predictions that he makes yeah. and that there's some other reason going on, uh, so, uh, whether, it's, whether it's just him and his personality things being braggadocious and he can't help himself or whether it's a legitimate strategy. I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't take them very seriously anymore. So I... I, I will state that I do not believe this theory. I do not believe the 11D chess is deliberately what's going on. But even if it's not deliberate, you have this interesting result. So Steve made an interesting analogy when we were talking offline. He said, he said, you know, if I'm making claims about the nature of mathematics and, and I want to know uh, who, who is following me and in agreement with me based entirely on the perceived truth of those claims and who is doing it based on the status they think they will get or the, the status that I have or respectability. One, one strategy would be to make your claims about mathematics and make your arguments and then also um, adopt some really crazy, goofy belief like, hey, I'm also a flat earther. And the result of that, now you would get a bunch of crazy flat earthers following you, but the result of that would be, it would be impossible for anyone whose primary motivation is status to 
follow you and to hear you and to listen to your arguments about mathematics because they'd be like, well, I can't even hear whether that's true because I'm so distracted by how embarrassing it would be for me to associate with that guy. Whereas someone who has basically had a reputational death and they don't care about the normal mainstream ideas of status and prestige, they would be able to say, I don't care that Steve also believes in the flat earth. He's just correct on this point. And so whether Craig intended this or not, there is something interesting that I see in BSV. Yes, there is a disproportionate number of crazies who are like, yes, Craig is God and that's why I'm on BSV. But also the people who are completely unmotivated by prestige and winning the Twitter love game. You saw that happen with the first split where a disproportionate number of the inquiring minds went with big block Bitcoin. And then there was this second split with BSV that was like an even further filter that the people who are interested in, in truth, and they don't think BSV is perfect or anything, but, and they truly don't care about prestige. In other words, prestige and reputation is not a hook you could lead them by. They couldn't be blackmailed in that way. They don't, there's no leverage the devil has over them in terms of, hey, you'll be embarrassed if this comes out, right? There's something interesting <laughs> about attracting that type of person when you pair crazy person, crazy claims with some really important truth claims the only people who can get to the truth claims without worrying about the baggage of the crazy are the ones who don't care about prestige in, in winning the social popularity game. And there's, there's something kind of neat about that, whether it was intended or not. You know, something that's interesting about that is, is, it, it, is, is it captures this idea of how easily people are distracted by controversy, which, which also makes them very easy to manipulate. I, I find it very fascinating that when people talk about BSV, they express concern that those who support BSV will be manipulated, but they express zero concern about the possibility that they themselves are being manipulated. Um, that, that there could be some sense in which a con game is being played, but they're completely wrong about who's being conned in the game. So I, I'll give you an example of how, about, of how people are easily distracted by controversy. Um, I, I was watching a documentary about um, the Green River Killer. This was somebody, a serial killer that killed like over 40 people before he got caught. Number might've been higher than that. And one of the people that was uh, instrumental in helping apprehend him was Ted Bundy, who was a terrible ser serial killer himself. Uh, in fact, at one point in the FBI's history, they just really didn't have a concept for serial killing. It was just like this weird phenomenon. And, and they had to do a lot of research to be able to understand the mind of such a person. And the people that were most helpful to them were people that were in prison, convicted of crimes. They were some of the worst, most despised people. And they were the ones that gave the information that was essential to be able to stop a lot of crimes. Now, if you were the kind of person to say, oh, no, no, I never accept any information unless it comes from the kind of person that I like, that I deem uncontroversial, you would have literally lost out on an opportunity to save lives, right? Or, or, even, or even if you didn't play the moral card and you said, well, the incentive for these prisoners to lead us astray is pretty high and the consequences if they do is pretty yeah. low. I don't like their, you know, their track record and their incentives. Yeah. Well, this, this is like uh, what's been going on in BCH for so long. This is why Steve was banned from that or kicked off that discussion. It got canceled, right? And, and uh, uh, this is why like just the other day, Roger had posted something uh, that I had shared on Twitter and it was, it was literally just a Mike Kern quote. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even a statement from me. It was from Mike Kern, but someone literally commented, you are sharing too much 
from Derek McGill here. This is, <laughs> he is a BSV spy. You should be sharing more deserving leaders within the community. <laughs> I'm so like, okay, like, no, it was, it was literally like a cry for redistribution of Roger yeah. to those most deserving. And it, it's like, it's I'm so either pathetic. right or I'm not. And it's not even my yeah. statement. So Mike is either right or it's not, but because I'm the one who shared Mike's message, it can't, it shouldn't be trusted. It's not from a reputable source because we, you know, because, because we, some people in, in BCH have determined that I'm a, a spy for, for Calvin Eric or something like that. You haven't like shown that. your loyalty. I'm not yeah, loyal I haven't to shown any of these projects, sufficient, God damn it. sufficient loyalty, whatever that means. I mean, uh, you know, reality is holding coins should be the only, you know, that, that, that's, I guess, sufficient loyalty, but anything else, you know, uh, the, the idea that you, you can't disagree or criticize the development team. Yeah. Or, you know, be, express, express that one other coin may be doing something right. I remember very clearly with the BCH-BTC split that the, the amount of people, in, the, the loud people in BTC, the loud shrill people, um, versus the amount of loud shrill people in BCH was, was totally unequal. Like BCH had the rational minds that, who were carefully explaining, look, this is this idea is wrong. This idea is this idea is wrong. This is why we're going to go with BCH. It was totally disproportionate. And I remember that too, because way back in the day before uh, BTC became a, a cult, there were still a lot of really rational minds there. And you could pick out the rational minds because they say rational things. And now in BCH, there are very few common rational minds. Roger is one of them, though, because I, on the thread you're talking about, um, he said something like something akin to what you just said, like uh, analyze the ideas yeah. for themselves, guys. It's such a trivial, basic, rational point. Analyze the ideas for themselves. And yet it has to be stated by somebody in his position because th things are so tribalistic, dogmatic and irrational that uh, Roger's getting flack for sharing Mike Hearn idea. I mean, how far yeah. screwed up can a community be? And yeah, I do I see that. <laughs> exactly. So now, there's a whole lot of irrational people in BSV, but I do think the, the general point that we're all making is the, there is a, if you're in BSV and you're not a culty, you have to have a really strict rational method to get past the controversies, the distractions, the Craig Wright circus and yeah, maybe that's some kind of meta selection mechanism going on here, which I hate to say, but it sure does look that way when you uh, when you compare the health of the relative BCH and BSV communities. Well, and, and one thing that Craig has ended up doing, maybe it's not intentional, or, but in him acting the way he does and in saying things that are so offensive to a lot of people in crypto, including sometimes us, um, he has made good ideas unpalatable in BCH. Yeah. So, like, like Roger had to, to, to tell people this too. BSV is right when they talk about having a relatively stable protocol for businesses to build on. Yep. That has now become a very controversial position in Bitcoin Cash. More people are waking up given this fork stuff. But I still, when I post about it, I still get harassed by people who tell me that constant change at the protocol level is innovation. And, you know, it's like, guys, this is not your startup. This is not agile development. This is a, a, a potentially multi-billion dollar industry that's trying to be built. And if you're sig trying to signal to businesses that uh, uh, it's a platform worth investing in, these constant debates every six months, 
months that may lead to a fork yeah. is a horrible investment proposition. That's one of the one of the things that makes it so hard to stay rational is when things get ratcheted so much. So especially if you're a very technical minded person and a and a rational thinker rather than a more feeler type, which I think most people in crypto are more on that side, more mechanically minded, et cetera. When when BSV people, you know, led primarily by Craig, say things like locked down, set in stone, whatever, you and I all know that like there's always a caveat to that. Well, at some point it can be changed. It's not precisely correct. And so people who are technical, they'll latch on to the fact that that's not technically true. And then they will spend so much time trying to shoot down that talking point that they will end up adopting the opposite talking point of like, no, it's just in perpetual flux and it needs to be in perpetual flux. What they miss is that from a practical standpoint, whether or not you technically can make changes (laughs) to it, the idea, the sentiment saying we're doing everything in our power to make it stable so when you build on it, you know it's not going to change and we want to incentivize that stability above all else that matters in a pragmatic way, even if it's not a thousand percent true all the time and, and turning the opposite way just because you're like, well, you can't actually technically do that 100% of the time. So instead, let's just say the protocol is always changing. It's like, you know, you get so caught up on calling out somebody for being technically in error that you miss that they're, they're right yeah. where it matters in a big sense. You know what I mean? That's 100% correct. And I sympathize sympathize with that because I have a split brain. Half of me is much more on the autistic technical mind, let's say. (laughs) The other half is aware of the things that you're talking about. It's actually been a kind of a long and painful process to become aware that the, the extreme focus on linguistic precision it, sometimes you can miss the important truth because you're focusing too, you're focusing too much, way, 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 way too much. So I see that all the time um, in my own thought as I'm constantly growing out of it, but also in BTC um, and in BCH. I did have one other thing to say, but there, go ahead and then I'll come back. So, so oh, TK, um, I, I got to give you credit real quick because... You and I have been debating, debating this back and forth. The, the, the degree to which the vulnerabilities in BSV really matter, you know, Craig Wright doing this and blah, blah, blah. And for a long time, I was trying to, to grapple with those in, in a sort of theoretical way as like a fan of Bitcoin, as, a, as an outsider who's curious and trying to predict the fate. And yes, I have a little skin in the game in terms of, you know, ownership of Bitcoin, but more of a, it's more of an exercise in what's the right way, which one's going to win. And what changed was I started to get really curious about in a very hard, like concrete way that I hadn't been before about building businesses on top of Bitcoin. And when I, when I started to more and more be like, there's something really interesting here. This is maybe something I want to look into. You know, I'm, I'm busy building a startup right now that has nothing to do with and isn't built on Bitcoin, but thinking about thinking about it, what would that be to build a business on Bitcoin? When I stepped back, completely dis- detached from arguments and feelings and what I wanted and communities and all my knowledge of crypto and said, which one would I build on were I to build an actual business? It was hands down. It was no contest. I could not make a rational business case for anything other than BSV because it's 
explicitly screaming at me, we want you to build on us. We're building APIs for things like Money Button and all these other things to make it easier so you don't even have to know how to code as much. The protocol is going to say, you, have, you can do any amounts of data for tiny transactions. You can do all this. It's like no, no other, I can't trust that the other protocols are going to be usable in six months. And when I just thought of it as an actual entrepreneur, like if I'm going to go build something, it just made me realize that, yeah, all those other things pale in comparison. Yeah. Yeah, when you when you start getting into the, uh, you start thinking about well, what would, what would it actually mean for me versus trying to think about all the theoretical all the theoretical things. And it was it's pretty similar to me as well. Um, when you just step back and get rid of the personalities and just think about what one actually lines up better with how I would want to be using Bitcoin, it's it's pretty much no comparison at this point. And that's really sad because. Yeah. I think that things could always change. I mean, I do. And I think that I think that there's a lot of good people in Bitcoin Cash and there's a lot of businesses and people that I respect tremendously. And I, the, the whole idea of a split big block community really pisses me off. But seeing these discussions over the last several weeks makes it very clear to me that the level of dialogue and the focus within the respective communities is night and day different. And that the BSV, uh, the people involved in BSV, not the people who you see online, but the people who are actually building things, um, have a far better perspective on Maybe you could say anyone whose profile picture is not a picture of Craig Wright is is the ones (laughs) you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And and that was, you know, and and it's kind of like when I went to that conference, I expected to see more of that. But in fact... I didn't see almost any of that. I mean, I, I saw so very that, little. It reminds me of what I wanted to say. It's related to this, that I think this is evidence that a successful project like crypto cannot be led by developers. In general, the developer mindset is not structured the right way for massive real world success, unless you're completely exceptional, like a Satoshi level. And maybe not, not even then, depending on Satoshi is, because it comes back to the the thing you were talking about, Isaac, about the the insistence on technical precision. So for me, it, it, and somebody who's interested in philosophy too, to say the protocol is locked down bothers me. Like I can't say that because it's not true, right? However, if somebody is more strategic and cares more about the real world, to to summarize the position and create the culture that you're trying to achieve to phrase it as the protocol is locked down is a way, 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 way better way of doing it. If you want to persuade people in the real world and have them just repeat the thing, oh yeah, BSV, the protocol's locked down, that's a better way to do it. And you're not going to get that type of language and even marketing from the more technical. Well, you noticed uh, there was a good video by Daniel Krawitz a while back. It was like, I think I figured out Enchain's business model. And he actually talks about this too. He was, he was basically saying, I'm seeing them simplify things for people. They're speaking to a different audience. They're not speaking to these crypto people. They're speaking to an audience of people outside of that. And, and then when they say things like, miners choose, protocol lockdown, <laughs> these things like we know, we know already that Yes, miners in theory choose, and yet it's a lot more of a messy process in practice. Um, and it's the same with protocol lockdown. The reality is the protocol is not literally 100% locked down, and yet in practice it, it, it could end up being mostly locked down. And these talking points, these marketing 
that matters. Mm-hmm. That you know, it reminds people- me, um, it reminds me of, I'm, I'm really big on the idea of like category kings or companies that create a new category and then dominate it. And when Salesforce emerged onto the scene, they basically created the category of software as a service, of cloud-based software services. And, you know, you used to have to buy a, any, any enterprise software, you'd buy licenses and install them on individual machines or install them on a server within your company and you'd pay for these. And you had to, you had to have it all stored locally. And Salesforce came on the scene and their big, their big campaign, it was, a, it was the word software with an X through it, like no software. And it was a no software campaign. Now, anyone that knows a little bit about tech knows that it's, it's not true. It's not no software. There actually is lots of software involved. But if they would have led with like a reduction in software overhead and a partially, you know, uh, non-local based CRM, it makes no sense. It's not a new category. It's not a, it's not a, a marketing hook that, that people can connect to. And the no software movement Techies that know, well, yeah, you know that technically Salesforce is lying. There is software, you know, like I got you. Actually, they don't matter because what are the, the people at the enterprises making the purchasing decisions? They're like, no software. Oh, thank God. Let's do it. A subscription service where I can just stream all this stuff and let's do it. I'm in. They don't care about the technical side. They get what you're trying to communicate to them. That's how you create a new category. You, you got to connect it. You can't create it with this technical precision you got to get the thrust of the thing get the meat of the thing you know yeah no code is a similar one because no code is like well technically there's all sorts of code like you know it's just that the code has been done at a different level of the the different production level and so in practice the people building applications they're not actually coding things but there's plenty of code like zapier has tons of code involved it's just that i as the end user now don't have to do as much code which is pretty cool but you know the technical mindset would just be like What are you talking about? All right, I got, I got a theory I want to propose. Um, that when, when Craig Wright or, or, or people in BSV communicate, they, they are communicating, uh, and that message is stay away. And, and, and then, they're, and then they're, they're speaking to the enterprise community in a way that says, come hither. So I, I think a lot of the, the hatred and the misunderstanding that the crypto community has of BSV, I dare to say that it is by design, that it is deliberately orchestrated. So I'm, I'm going to use I'm going to use an occult CD like this. One of the you know they had this idea of a distinction between uh, the sacred and the profane. it's kind of like how in Harry Potter, they have this idea of muggles, you know, right. Where muggles are people that like aren't worthy of magic or like if they, if they had the power, they would abuse it in some kind of way. So you got to be able to keep the muggles away where in like mystery schools, they had this idea of the profane people who, if you gave them, if you gave them secret knowledge or valuable ideas, they they might use them for purposes that are inconsistent with like the, the, the good purposes of the mystery school. So the way that you kept away the profane was you basically put up like a sign outside of the school or something like that that scandalized it, scandalized it. So, so maybe you would say like the book of forbidden knowledge or something, or, or, or you would have like a picture of a skull and the bones. And, and when people saw that, they would predictably go, oh, that's bad. Don't open that book. 
don't explore those ideas because that's dangerous. And the people within the mystery school would be like, ha ha ha, purpose achieved. Now, now, why would we expect such a thing to be true in Bitcoin? Well, I think we all agree that the, the BTC experiment provides a good case study in the idea that Bitcoin can indeed be co-opted, right? It can indeed be defeated. Um, it, it, it wasn't wiped out of existence, but it was rendered useless. And all of these amazing freedom providing use cases that everyone was excited about in the beginning were destroyed by way of BTC. And if we assume for a second, I know it's a gracious assumption for everyone, but if we assume that Craig is, is, is right in that he's really pissed off about what happened to his creation, right? That, that, that he created something to do all of these wonderful things. He made a mistake, allowed it, allowed it to be co-opted, and he doesn't want that to happen again. Then that means BSV has to be developed and scaled faster then the developers can come in, infiltrate, and, and hijack it. Um, and and that's, that's a race against time because this is a problem for any blockchain. You only have a limited amount of time to scale that thing before developer groups come in, ascend to a position of influence, infiltrate the community, and then detour the whole thing. How do you do that? I can't think of a better way to do that than to build in such a way that the entire development community in crypto looks at your project and says, nothing interesting here. This is all a fraud. This is all stupid. This isn't going anywhere. That guy's dumb, techno babble. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And in the meantime, you have your centralized group of developers and you, you build as quickly as possible. And the, only, and the way you achieve decentralization is through lockdown protocol and scaling it quickly. And now any individual or group of developers is irrelevant. I think it's a brilliant idea. You think, think it's... it's do you think that's intentional then? I, I think that's intentional. Hmm. I think it could be. I think even if it didn't start out intentionally, it could be now. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't have believed that something like that prior to BCH taking the route it, it, is, it is taking. And it feels like BCH has basically been co-opted again. And seeing that now makes me very, very uh, skeptical of, of any crypto project that relies on the existing crypto community and the existing players to, uh, to build itself up. Um, because it seems like there's always going to be these people coming back into the projects or uh, these ideas are going to continue to influence things. I mean, maybe the only way to, to, to succeed is to just bypass these people and just recognize that it's been 11 years of the same people trying to build crypto and it hasn't worked. Maybe it's time to try something different. And, and um, one thing that helped me come to this opinion too was, was just reading the old Bitcoin talk forums um, and reading, reading all of Mike Kern's stuff. I was just so impressed by what a rational thinker he was and how much he was predicting this. And he actually says at one point, this is going to happen over and over and over again. And whether it's about the block size or something else, it's all going to be the same thing with, with projects being co-opted again and again and again. And we're going to have these debates and it's going to seem at surface like a different thing, but it's going to be the same fundamental problem over and over and over again. And I thought, man, like, Maybe maybe he was right. I mean, at this point, it, it feels like he was very ahead of the ahead of the time. He was prescient, and uh, and his AMA is also excellent. And he says, just kind of like TK, he says things 
that are true, like painfully true. He points out exactly what the problems are. And if you're a fan of BCH, it's painful to read. I remember two things that I think were completely correct was one, the Chinese culture actually matters because the decisions of minors actually matter. So if minors don't assert themselves because they have a culture of submission to authority, they perceive the devs as being authoritative, that's a problem. It is, it always has been. The other one he brings up, which is exactly correct, is he said, back in the day, a lot of these important decisions were made by a few developers in IRC, um, in an IRC chat room. They would talk about themselves and they would make these decisions unilaterally. So it's the exact same thing is happening right now, except it's Telegram instead of IRC. Yeah. And that is completely correct. I think it's possible, though, it, boy, it would be unpopular to say, I think it's possible that the existence of protocol developers is the problem. If Bitcoin is good enough to scale and to be used... Right, right which is why, why are they trying to create funding... You don't want more funding for the problem. You don't want to feed the problem. <laughs> that, that might legitimately be the problem, that they're trying, that this group of people is trying to achieve some level of technical beauty and proficiency, that they are forever going to doom any businesses that are trying to be built on top of the protocol. So if you have something that's good enough and you don't have any more technical protocol development or any relevant protocol development, that actually might be the way to succeed. You know the so, scenario that scares me? Uh, it's not anything that Craig says or does. It will be something like the core developers realizing and acknowledging that BTC is trash and then saying, you know what, we're going to go over to SV. I'd be really scared at that point. Or if everybody from BCH was like, you know what, let's abandon this and go over to SV. I think that's the biggest threat to SV is to have an influx of all of these influencers and developers. You want those people to get the point when it's yeah. too late for them to have influence. That's a, so, great, uh, that's a great point, TK. Sorry, I know I keep talking. I'm just going to keep interrupting all y'all. I've got these great ideas you can listen to. No, uh, I come from an interrupting family, so I don't know. Okay, <laughs> okay good. Um, well, I just wanted to say that at the beginning, I don't know if you were on yet, I was saying, um, I see this as a, as a personnel problem. I've come to the realization that I think the problems in crypto in general almost all be reduced to personnel problems. So what you're proposing is precisely the way of solving the personnel problem is by saying all you individual people that aren't, don't get it and aren't good enough and never will stay out. And this is our way of trying to keep you out. And this is what Mike Hearn basically said too in, in the resolution of the Bitcoin experiment is he said the Bitcoin failed because the people involved failed. Um, he also said at one point, this is prior to him actually leaving the project, but he said, you know, at a certain point, I'm just going to have to start throwing my weight around and telling people this is how it's going to be because everybody else is wrong. Right. And, and I think he was right. I mean, I think he's been proven to be right. Um, so I agree. I think, I think it's almost entirely a people problem and you want to be at a point where it can't be a people problem anymore. Right. And the only way you do that is through not having the protocol be something that, that people are constantly changing. But if you're changing every six months, you're guaranteed to have personnel problems. I mean, There's it's, just it's no like, way around it. It's like creating a large and, and powerful government. You're guaranteed to have an explosion of rent seekers. Um, you know, so to get rid of the rent seeking problem, you don't chastise people for rent seeking. You reduce the, <laughs> the scope. So two, two thoughts. First, everybody should go look at breaking Satoshi, Derek's newsletter blog. It's phenomenal. And when you started sharing a lot of these Mike Hearn quotes, I'm not going to have any conspiracy theories here at this time, but damn, 
he sounded a lot like Craig Wright sounds a lot. Yeah, I, okay. A lot of so much I ever expected. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to share a big document soon where people are going to be so shocked of the stuff that Mike was saying in 2012. Um, but the thing about Mike is Mike doesn't say things with that tone of like glee, yeah. like you're going to tie jail. Yeah. You're going to get bent over and you know, whatever. Like, like Mike doesn't talk like that. But Mike actually has some really good points. And um, he was making a lot of the points about the uh, anarchist influence in Bitcoin as, as being, even though we're all ANCAPs here, I think, like as, as being maybe detrimental to the project. And, and he was bringing people's head back to reality a little bit. We, you know? we bring, you know, with our, and I mean, I've, I've struggled with this as an entrepreneur and, and just in a lot of ways with my passion for freedom and voluntarism and undermining of, of, you know, state power and whatever, you can sometimes see positive developments and project them into the future. And you see, oh my gosh, this is the thing that's going to absolutely un be the undoing of the state. And you run with it in a way that's unrealistic and you sort of gloss over the little problems it's going to encounter along the way. And so I think we like saw Bitcoin and we took it in our mind to this end that we want to see, which is like statelessness and kind of forgot some of the fundamental properties. Like it's never really been private. Uh, it's anonymous. You know, yeah. There's like it by itself. I, I hope for a, a world of statelessness, but by itself, there's nothing about Bitcoin that demands or requires uh, statelessness. Like there's, there's a lot more at play. Um, yeah. Sometimes that's, I a, find a lot of the things that Craig says about Bitcoin in regards to like law and the state. I find them to be true. Like even if I disagree with them from a moral perspective, and that's what Mike was talking about. Mike was saying, look, I don't like that a lot of these laws exist. He's like, I think a lot of the AML uh, KYC laws are draconian and stupid. Um, but the reality is they do exist. And if you are a business who's trying to actually grow and be successful and not just be some either like darknet thing or mom and pop shop, you're going to run into KYC issues. And if you don't comply, you're going to get screwed. Um, and he, he really hammered this home point uh, through over and over and over again over the course of you know, a dozen or so messages that, look, building money that deliberately tries to get itself outlawed by the state is a bad idea. Um, and I, I yeah, you, you will, tend to agree I, with that. And I think we're seeing now is... I, I think I think and I applaud the fact that there will always be some form of crypto or multiple forms that are uh, outlets for at least temporary evasion, like pirate radio stations that yeah. were illegally broadcasting and they had to keep moving around on ships or whatever to avoid the you know the BBC shutting them down or whatnot. Um, that will always exist, but that that will never become a global massive thing because it's it's got to keep changing shape and form to keep evading the you know the law. But but the other the other point I wanted to make, um, it's just sort of an observation. I'm, I'm I don't know where I'm going with this exactly, but Derek, when you were sharing some of your experiences from the CoinGeek conference, and now that I've seen some of the video and seen some other evidence of it, though I wasn't there myself, I, I get a, a basic idea. It reminds me of whenever like. Whenever secrets that are, are, it's like easily hidden truths, right? Truths that are hidden in plain sight, I guess. Things that are hidden in plain sight. 
when you encounter one, it forces you to reevaluate your whole understanding of the world and of knowledge and of how people come to believe with what they believe. So when I, when I years ago worked around politics, which was horrible and I don't recommend it, I would witness firsthand sometimes like protests of like teachers unions or whatever. And there'd be like a dozen people there with a couple signs and nothing happened. And then I would read in the news the next day coverage and they would literally sometimes have pictures that were not even of the same event, like full on fabrications. And they would describe this event and everybody else who read it, and this is in the internet age, would basically just accept, oh, a really big protest went down at the Capitol. Wow, teachers are really upset. Schools are going to shut down. And it was utterly untrue. And it was so, so easy to prove that it was untrue that it like, completely messed with my brain's ability to comprehend the way the world works because you're like at basically 90% of people in the state of Michigan are going to believe that this is what's happening yeah. even though it literally would take about 2 minutes of effort to utterly disprove it but it's not going to be disproven and it forces you like how and, and I remember growing up in a religious community when you hear some way, sometimes the ways people talk about church services or whatever and you're like well they have a lot of problems but like I've been to churches my whole life. Literally, they're nothing like what you're describing. If you walk into one, it's just a lot of nice people drinking coffee and shaking your hand. Like, how can you go on believing this thing when the proof is so easy to obtain? And yeah. when you're describing CoinGeek and the people you're talking with and the experience you're having, and then you go online and it's like the way people talk about BSV, like it's just a basement cult. It's Craig and a bunch of paid shills. It's and they, and they fervently believe this. That is the dominant perception. I mean, I even see Silicon Valley venture capitalists and whatever tweeting, whatever. And they, they don't even know that Bitcoin SV exists, most of them. Um, it's like, that is such an open secret. It's so easy to obtain contrary evidence that it forces you to question how the hell does this whole, our idea of thinking we know what we know and information transmission, it's so inefficient. We're in the information age. We're supposed to be able to get to the, the facts as easy as possible because you can take a picture with your cell phone and post it. How come everybody yeah. doesn't just know this already? But it's it, like, it's so interesting. I, it just, it messes with my head sometimes. And I usually, when I see that, I'm very drawn to whatever the thing is that like, mm. like secret secrets are a little dangerous because they're, they're used for manipulation, but they can also be positive. Open secrets are almost always worth chasing. If it's a yeah. secret that no one's trying to hide, but yet it remains a secret to the general public. The general public's usually ignorant of it because of some problem with their own brain, not because that there's a problem with the thing that's, that's the secret, right? Like that's what's really interesting to me. CoinGeek isn't trying to hide what BSV is, but it still remains a secret to most of the world. Well, and, and, and the people, people continue to have this perception that it's a fly-by-night con job. Um, but... And I told a lot of people there, there people were asking me, because like, yo, you're a BCH spy, but they were kind of joking. It was just tongue in cheek. <laughs> and I would talk to them and say, yeah, you know, my impression is that I think a lot of people in Bitcoin cash would be very scared if they saw this because they would, they would see, oh crap, like my, the things I've been telling myself that this is going to die, that there's nobody involved, that it's just a bunch of cultists who aren't doing anything. It's absolutely 100% false. I mean, it's, it's the, the, and, and, and the most basic uh, truth-seeking ex experience, which is just going to the event, will prove that. Um, so I think the conclusion is we're all living in the matrix. <laughs> I, I want to know, TK and Steve, <laughs> what do you think makes that so possible that, that, that there can be things that are so, so easy to find 
um, that remain unfound? I have many things to say about it, but I want to let TK go first. Yeah, what did he freeze? No, no, you, you, you go first. Oh, I thought you froze he, like that. He, he literally physically froze, not his connection. <laughs> you okay, TK? You got to call somebody. <laughs> I, 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 I thought about all these BTC assets getting froze. And, you know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I have, I have many, many, many thoughts about this because uh, I have seen the same phenomena except in very unexpected places, which is the world of uh, academic ideas. So how could it be that... Uh, both really, really good ideas are dismissed and, and they people have no experience or awareness of their existence and really, really bad ideas are perpetuated over long periods of time. I th- and I think part of the reason is because reality is incredibly complex and he- almost all humans, with very few exceptions, are social creatures whose primary goal is not to get at the truth at least not directly, and they reason by proxy. Uh, what do other people say? What do the experts say? What do the people with prestige say? Um, and also, not only the reasoning by proxy, but they make conclusions based on the, uh, the, the social, perceived social status that they will have when they have those beliefs. So it's not only that they, they believe the mathematician and the physicist, um, because they're prestigious, it's, it's also, and if I repeat what they say, I will myself gain prestige. And that process uh, is 90% of humans, maybe more, in all, all disciplines. Um, almost, to some extent, especially in the world of academic ideas, because it's so prestige-driven. If you're somebody who is a brilliant intellectual and you probably don't have too much monetary success, your, your social status is determined by uh, how fashionable your ideas are, how often they are repeated. Do, do people who have prestige uh, say the cocktail parties? Uh, and so I think it's the same thing in crypto that almost nobody on planet Earth is independently thinking. I mean that seriously. There's almost nobody out there who, who is deeply thinking at the most fundamental level and going to arrive at these conclusions. Um, I think there are, I think, in practice, even the people who maybe have found the secret truth of BSV, if we can call it that, uh, a lot of them are going to be in the same boat. They, they are looking up to people like Ryan Charles they're, they're, or Daniel Kravitz. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, these are the really smart people. And so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go along with what they say. And you know, we're, we're all the smart people, right? And they're not independently thinking themselves. So that is one of the huge reasons I see for these, these uh, truths being um, buried for so long is simply people aren't thinking about them and we're social animals. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so many things to say here. What do I say? What do I start? Um, so, so, uh, for one, I think it has something to do with the, um, the natural, uh, necessary for survival bias, um, that we have towards negative interpretations uh, of reality. Um, so, you know, for instance, you know, if, 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 you know, thousands of years ago, you, you heard a rustling in the leaves, uh, adopting an optimistic interpretation of that would be more costly, right? Assuming that it's the worst possible thing probably increases your chance of survival because you just assume the negative and you get the hell out of there. And you can see that today playing out 
in our concept of what it means to kind of keep it real or be honest. Um, so I'm gonna ask you guys a question to give an example. Um, do you all have an example of someone you can think of who like tells it like it is? Like this person, like, hey, this is a truthful person. They keep it real. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that whoever this person is, it's what and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bet that even for the people that are viewing, whatever person came to mind for you, it's probably the kind of person who's willing to tell you harsh sounding things that you don't want to hear. Um, and they're so committed to the truth that they're going to, they're, they're going to give it to you straight, even though it makes you feel bad. Right. Am, am, am I, am I right on that? Yeah. Um, we don't think in the opposite way. We don't think that a person who tells it like it is, is someone or, or a person who keeps it real is someone that will tell you that you did a good job after performing a task or someone will t that will tell you that you have a nice haircut or those shoes are really cool. Um, we don't think of those people as keeping it real. So, and what's interesting is a lot of the people who have the reputation for keeping it real, they almost never give compliments. They almost never tell you positive truths about yourself, right? But we still look at them as being truthful. They keep it real. And whereas the person who will tell you positive things, we're kind of skeptical, right? Because we know that the incentives for lying about positive things are really high. So anyway, we have this bias towards the negative and against the positive that can really skew clear-headed thinking about things. So how does this apply to things like Craig Wright and BSV? Well, Craig Wright makes a lot of positive promises, right? Which if you believe it's going to make you feel real good, right? Like BTC is going to be zero and BSV is going to be this, right? Um, and, and so when he makes those positive promises, it's easy for people to get skeptical. And anything that comes up that seems to contradict those positive promises shreds his credibility in the eyes of other people. Um, and, and, then, and then when there seems to be something negative about him, that sort of thing is easy to believe. But where people are inconsistent is that they don't do that in both directions. Uh, they completely ignore um, things like the consistency of maintaining the roadmap. Um, they completely ignore um, all the other types of things that come true because of this bias against negativity. But all right, I botched that point. I don't think I communicated that well. Um, I, I regret even saying that because I felt like I was blabbing. Let me give something hey, else. Hey, let I me think. just speak some truth to you, TK. You didn't botch it. <laughs> <laughs> let me give you something else. Let me give you something else. Um, I think there's a difference between thinking as a spectator and thinking as a user. And these distinctions are not moot points because different, different amounts of information become available to you based on how you're thinking. So for instance, anyone that's ever embarked on a new diet knows they find out very quickly the importance of making a distinction between diet friendly labels and the details you recognize when you actually inspect the ingredients, right? So right now I'm, 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 I'm doing keto and I can go to the grocery store and I can, I can look at something that says like keto friendly or low carb and I get excited, right? As a spectator, I'll stop there and celebrate just how much the, the, the food industry is growing. There are options for everybody. But because I'm a user, I got to actually eat the stuff. I look at the can and I see that this thing has 30 carbs. In what sense is it keto friendly, right? Um, just just join Steve. I think Steve is eating only raw roadkill at this point. <laughs> uh, that, I don't think we should explain that at all. We'll just leave that dangling. Yeah, I'm the roadkill eater. <laughs> the BCH gang will love that. <laughs> 
so when you're thinking like a user, as someone that's actually got to use the damn thing, it incentivizes you to look a little bit further and new information becomes available. When you're thinking as a spectator, you just don't need to pay attention to certain things and you walk away with a very different reality, a reality based on words, labels, external descriptions, um, surface appearances, and so forth. The last thing I'll say on this is there's also a difference between thinking like a community member and thinking like an individualist. Um, Dallas Willard, who was the um, chairman of the philosophy department at, at, at USC and, and was also a religious person who argued for the existence of God, he made what I take to be a very profound statement. He once said, breakfast is a good idea and I don't intend to abandon it simply because atheists practice it. And, and he, he was addressing something that's very prominent in religious circles, and that is a fear of embracing ideas if those ideas are associated with people yeah. who are of a different ideological camp. Yeah. And when you think like a community member, you don't give yourself permission to go down certain philosophical paths because the social cost of believing those things is too high you know, and will cost you, you know, membership in a tribe. Yeah. But when you're thinking like an individualist, you say, look, I'm, I'm not a tribalist first. I'm looking at the truth as something that gives me advantages. And so I'm free to believe whatever the evidence supports. And it doesn't really matter how many people make fun of me for that. And if you look at everything about BSV right now, if you went on Twitter and you said something positive about, about BSV or B, BTC, I mean, BSV or Craig Wright, you're probably going to get more hate than love. And it's probably going to cost you something, you know? But if you go and make fun of Craig Wright, all the crypto influencers, most people in crypto will love you for that. And, and, and when you're thinking like a community member, it's just harder to notice the kinds of valuable things that only an individualist can see. So I'm going to, I'm going to make one comment on that. And then I have a question I want to ask Derek. Um, you know, it's like there's a form of blindness. And I don't know if this is actually true, but I remember I, I went down a rabbit hole one time about uh, language and concepts. And I think it might be the, the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis or something like that, where if you, don't, if you don't have a word for something, since most of us think linguistically, then like you literally can't see it in the world and different tests with, with different languages that don't have like passive forms of certain action verbs. When they see a picture of someone kicking a ball, they like literally can't see certain, whatever. And some people have claimed that when the first ships from Europeans came to the Americas, that some of these, you know, some of the, the natives in South America or Central America looked out on the water and literally didn't see the ships. Now, I don't know if that's true, but the idea is that we, you can actually be blind to existing things in the world if you don't have a, an existing concept or category for them. And those concepts and categories are sometimes formed by constant reinforcement. And when you think of the social media age, the dopamine hit of a like, of a follow, you get these concepts so, so fragmented that you can yeah. literally look at something like, let's say, what's happening on BSV or, or whatever. That's one example. Maybe what's happening on BSV isn't that special or whatever. I'm not trying to claim that entirely, but you can look at it and not see it. You can literally look directly at it and not see it. And that's a really powerful thing. And it's a, and it's a humbling thing. It's a good caution. It's a good reminder. So Derek, my question for you at, at CoinGeek. I, I just got to interrupt you, bro. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm a terrible habit. I know. Um, not. I just want to piggyback on that. So we're talking about uh, processes of reasoning. This is like this is the thing I'm obsessed with. And there are good processes of reasoning and many, 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 many bad processes of reasoning. You've just pointed out one. There's another one, which is 
so applicable in crypto and in a bunch of other areas, which is this sincere belief. It can't really be the case that the people I consider to be experts, that other people consider to be experts, could all be wrong about this basic thing. That is the process of reasoning. If I had to kind of define part of my philosophy and brand in this, it's it's playing out the implications of what if that belief is wrong? What if it actually is the case that we live in a world in which time and time and time and time and time again, the people who conceive of themselves as experts are confused about the very basics. That's something that is so, it's an intellectual process that almost nobody in the world can run about anything, but especially in crypto with BSB. Derek, how many people at CoinGeek, does everyone at CoinGeek believe that Craig Wright is Satoshi? Yeah, so, uh, okay, first I just want to say too, just about this reasoning thing. Uh, I know, it's like, but if, if my, part of it is like, can you afford to be wrong or not? And I feel like in crypto, what happens with, what happened with core and what happened with BCH is that a lot of people dumped their coins right away to make a political statement. And now they can't afford to be wrong. Whereas people who were, you know, just kind of like, eh, I'm on the fence or, you know, I'm just going to let it see, I'm going to let it play out. And I like people on both sides and whatever they can afford to be wrong. They haven't lost anything if they're wrong. And I, I, you know, personally want to be in that kind of position where uh, as long as possible, where I can afford to be wrong as long as possible. Now, there, if, if, you are, if you are very confident, it's worth maybe taking a bigger bet. But I think a lot of people put themselves in a really bad position to where now it's been over a year and BSV is still around and the price has increased and the ratio between BCH and BSV has uh, increased. And now they're like, oh, crap. Like, I, maybe I made the wrong decision or at least, at least... I can't afford to be wrong. So anyway, um, I think this biases your thinking. But um, regarding people thinking Craig is Satoshi, yeah, I got asked a lot whether I think Craig is Satoshi or not. And um, I found a lot of like nuance to people's discussion. I don't think people care anymore. I mean, one thing I told you guys on Voxer was that it felt like a lot of people wouldn't mind if he was lying because it's almost kind of funny. And we were comparing it to Trump. Like... In a way, Trump like transcended truth during the election because Trump lied about a lot of things and he would openly lie about things that like, I remember one classic one was where um, Jeb Bush said Trump had tried to get a casino built in Florida and Jeb didn't allow him or something like that. And Trump was like, that's a lie. Like if I wanted it, I would have gotten it. But even though like a very like quick look would show that he in fact did try to get the casino and was blocked explicitly by Jeb, it didn't even matter. Like people loved it. And I think the impression I got from talking to people at CoinGeek was, in fact, a lot of people don't care whether he's Satoshi. There are people who think he's Satoshi. There's a lot of other people who like the spectacle of him being Satoshi more than him, whether he actually is Satoshi or not. Um, and that, I think that was the majority, to be honest. The majority of people I talked to felt like it doesn't actually matter, I guess. Any uh, of Phil sympathizers? I did not meet any Phil sympathizers. And that's, a, no. that's sad because I feel like, I still feel like that could be one of those open secrets we're talking about yeah. where like all the truth is out there about the creation of Bitcoin and no one wants to listen to it. <laughs> right. um, Isn't which, there you know, some lady on Twitter as well that's, that claims to be? Yeah, some, some random, yeah, random woman was claiming. very much on her. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess, so hopefully I answered the question well. I mean, I, I, that, that, that's the impression that I got was that it's less and less relevant. And if you're paying attention to people saying he's Satoshi and be like, ooh, doctor, 
you're right, you know, on Twitter, you're like, you're like missing the point because a lot of things are going to happen in the background built by people who literally could not care less. Um, and so, you know, it really is BSV is a test, I think, in reasoning capabilities of distinguishing important things from unimportant signals. So a, f- a, f- a funny uh, test that I'll use sometimes is I'll occasionally show my wife and my kids different snapshots into the world of crypto over the years. And it's funny how keen their, their radar is. So like I remember I would show stuff and as soon as yours.org came out, both my wife and my son thought it was amazing. My son got on there. He was like 12 or 10 or something and started writing stuff. And they don't, they don't care about the crypto wars. They're just like, this is really cool. Meanwhile, like BTC people would have told you like, oh, this is stupid. This is spam, whatever. I, I showed them the video of the woman yelling pumpkin man, Craig. And now it's like a, it's like a phrase in our household that everyone just thinks they, they, don't, they don't know who Craig Wright is or whatever. They just thought it was, they're like, what is wrong with that woman? Like that is something is wrong with her. Um, but Twitch, they all they always want they always want to know what the latest memes that Danny Trejo is posting to Twitch because they think the idea of Twitch is hilarious. They think the fact that it's called Twitch and it's like tongue in cheek, a Twitter ripoff, and like it has a frog as a CEO and all this. Like my kids just think that's funny, um, and they and they like get delight out of it. And there's something there's something interesting there. We're like I can't think of anything on Bitcoin Core that my kids would be like, oh, that's fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, is the battle for Bitcoin over? Well, uh, okay. So I think that I, I was telling people at the, uh, I'll just repeat what I said at the conference. People were asking me, oh, I like how you're, you have skeptical takes too. So what's your skeptical take on BSV? And I guess my main skeptical take at this point is that um, things can always change. I mean, having gone through two community uh, co-optings and uh, maybe another split in BCH now, it feels like, okay, things are never guaranteed. And there is always a possibility that things are going to change in the future. Um, BSV right now feels like the least likely to go down a different path than the one that's being, being talked about now by far, by far the least likely. It really feels quite a lot different than uh, even the early days of, of BCH uh, in, in a positive direction. Um, so, uh, BCH could always turn around and surprise me. I mean, there's smart people in BCH. I, I'm, you know, I'm still going to continue working and doing some work in BCH. But um, right now, the last several weeks have been the most bearish time for me in BCH ever. Yeah, and I don't even I don't even talk about it, most of it publicly. It's so like black pilling on BCH to watch what's going on. Like you described it perfectly, Isaac, when you called them a bunch of children. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels like. Reddit debates about this stuff. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. A, a developer holding basically the whole chain hostage by putting in some horrible code and demanding to be paid. Uh, nobody getting the fundamental ideas wrong. I mean, uh, right? I mean, that's part of the issue too. Is I see, I see that even the people who disagree with what ABC is doing right now and who are upset, I don't think they're going far enough in challenging the fundamental ideas that led to that. That's my biggest problem is the premises aren't being challenged deeply enough. They're not, they're, they see this as just like, oh, this is just one developer it's being bad or, or this doesn't have enough community members who have voted on this being, a, who have agreed about on this. Yeah. That's the wrong thing. That's the completely wrong mindset. Like they're, what, what they're doing that is wrong is, is, is different than what the people are mad about, it feels like. And so when I see that, 
I like, I felt like this, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. This is the test for Bitcoin cash. And if they get this right, then it's a great sign. If they're actually able to get this right, it's like one of the most bullish signs possible, but people have fundamentally gotten it wrong. Even the people who disagree with very few exceptions, I would, I would say there's obviously, I think I think Roger and Bitcoin.com are exceptions, but in general, people have totally gotten it wrong. And for me, that's, that's, it's kind of like the last straw. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think a lot of that is correct. And, you know, I've been saying for many months now that I think things are going to change in BCH, specifically with regards to the dev problem. And part of me is very pleased with the realization that people have had, have come to that, oops, I guess Amory Sachet was actually positioning Bitcoin ABC to be the next block stream. Like that is actually what has happened. However, I think they've realized it too late. And uh, I'm not sure, like Derek is saying, I'm not sure that it's radical enough. This Amri Sachet needs to be kicked out of the Bitcoin Cash community. Obviously, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's so clear at this point. What further evidence do you need that the technical competence does not make up for the other serious flaws? And yet there are, <laughs> because people, I guess... I guess they want to save face. They don't, they don't want to kick somebody out. I, I don't exactly know their reasoning process. I don't, think he's, uh, I don't think he's actually going to be kicked out. People are even saying, well, maybe we can have the ABC developers work with the, uh, the BCH. No, they can still coordinate. I'm thinking that's not going to work, folks. But, but I, will, I will say on BSV, I see two big potential problems still. I'm not totally sold that this is the one that's going to win. Um, the one problem is still the threat of... Craig influencing in-chain developers to such a degree that they, that they change the code such that it's easier to move, uh, conf- to confiscate coins and move the Satoshi coins. I think that's still, I don't know if I'd call that a prediction anymore, but I think that's still a legitimate threat, a potential, a potential route for the exit scam scenario or the, the fraud scenario or whatever to have some plausibility. I think that's an, uh, that is a possible route. However, after this conference, and seeing the presentations and the businesses, I think that's less and less likely. The other huge concern for me is the difficulty adjustment algorithm change. When you, whenever that happens and they're going back to the old DAA, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the future of BSV is going to be. I don't think it's going to be catastrophic because I think uh, Enchain and Calvin are, are always going to have some dedicated amount of hash power to get those blocks propagated. But if there are huge price variations... I don't know what's going to happen. That could be a, a significant risk for the health of the chain. Those two things I consider to be the biggest threat problems now in BSV. Yeah, I, I didn't recall hearing a whole lot about the DAA at the conference. I mean, I know there's another fork coming up. It's TBD. It's basically just a couple changes. I don't know exactly what specifically it is, but um, um, I don't think they mentioned the DAA being changed then. So I really have no idea uh, what that is. Uh, what that is going to look like or whether that's actually going to go through or when it's going to go through. Um, but I agree with everything you're saying. TK is the battle for Bitcoin over. Um, it done been done. It, it done been over, man. It, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, a <laughs> uh, that's what they say down here in South Carolina. Like, Oh, it's not over. It done been over. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, 
it's like it's the fourth quarter of a basketball game and, and BSB is up by 30 points. I mean, there is a sense in which it's over, but there's also a sense in which you need to handle your business and not take being ahead for granted and make sure you understand that a combination of bad luck, injuries and terrible decision making could always result in a loss being, you know, blown in, in a victory being blown. But yeah, I, I think for all practical intents and purposes, it's over. I, I like if BTC and BCH are the competition. I, I like how the game is looking for BSB. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I kind of figured it was like BCH's game to lose for a while. And unfortunately, they seem to have blown it. Um, TK, so. I, I think, yeah, I think I, I agree with that too, Derek. I, I think the better sports analogy than being up by 30 in the fourth quarter. It reminds me more of the fourth quarter of the, what was it, 2016 Super Bowl, the Falcons versus the Patriots. Now, I went, I went back and rewatched the, the video version where you can hear what the players are saying. They're mic'd up on the sidelines. And the Patriots were getting blown away. And it was really funny, though, when you listen to the mic'd up sidelines. The Patriots players, they were down by like 25 in the start fourth, to start the fourth quarter. And they ended up going into overtime and winning. They they all completely, they like knew they were going to win the game. And when you saw the Falcons players on the sidelines, they were saying stuff like they were cheering, but then some of them were like, but I don't know, man, but it's Tom Brady over there. They were still scared that they were going to lose the game. And it's like that because the world, nobody knows that the Patriots are going to win except the Patriots. And they're like, yeah, we got this. And that's kind of how I feel where BSV is. It's, it's, they still could lose. Absolutely. But people w- within it, like they kind of see something that nobody else sees yet. And mm-hmm. they have a confidence that I think has some justification. And, and I, you know, it's funny how history can be seen in a different way. I remember back at the, the split, the, the hash war, BSB and BCH. And I think all of us were in a very fairly similar position where we were kind of unclear, like which side we really liked because we liked some things about both. Um, and we were like kind of not happy with this technical tinkering approach of BCH. But on the other hand, Craig and BSV seemed just crazy, seemed totally unreasonable, not willing. Why was he going to split over this stuff? Why is he so crazy about blah, 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 these huge claims. He's going to bankrupt you and they didn't come true. Ha, ha, ha. But it always kind of sat wrong with me. One, the way that the BCH crowd really cheered and gloated and everything in, in sort of a silly, immature way when it's like, what are you gloating about? Now you have two chains that both, and, and if anything, the yeah. one that you claim to have beat has more dedicated hash power to it on an ongoing basis. That's kind of like scary. I wouldn't be gloating about that. But two, I look back and I think all of us, it was easy to say the split was caused because Craig Wright's such a recalcitrant SOB. Now you look back, and I, I listened to that audio of Amari Sachet during those discussions. I started reading, yeah. I started rewatching the videos. And Craig, yes, he says crazy stuff. Enchain did not want. Everybody's like, oh, Enchain just wanted their own coin. They wanted. They didn't. They didn't. In fact, they were one of the 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 last to decide to jump on the BCH fork. They were still trying to get BTC to raise its block size for a long time. Once the BCH, once BCH did split and they were, okay, we're in on big block BCH, they were trying to prevent this split. And, um, and Amari Sachet was actively campaigning for it. He was trying to drive yeah. it. I, th- I think things like adding canonical- He actually said ordering, that in the audio. Yeah, he's yeah. adding, I think he was trying to create a reason 
to get the split. I think he wanted the fork that he had, the, the, the code that he had forked off. He assumed he would have complete control of it and be the lead of that fork. And when it didn't look like that, when Enchain came in with all kinds of resources and activity and money and other developers, he was like, well, let's cause a freaking split here so I can have mine and they can have yeah. like when you look back, it looks like that's what happened. And it looks like well, Enchain I, I, were like the more reasonable party here. I, I, I don't think ABC would disagree with much of that, except for maybe the last part about being the more reasonable party. Um, he prides himself. They pride themselves in getting rid of the Craig Wright influence that it was a, it was a, it was like, um, how to put it, some kind of great victory that this toxic person was purged from BCH. So they absolutely wanted a company that's funding 18 full-time protocol developers while you're bitching about nobody buying your sandwich. Yeah. This is the other other thing too, that bothers me is um, like people have shit on Roger to be like, you took too long to see that there was a toxic actor or blah, blah, blah. And he should have supported BCH sooner. I'm thinking, okay, I'm not in Roger's mind, but if I'm in that position and I'm trying to judge, do I side with, Amri Sachet, or do I side with the in-chain people and Calvin and Craig? That's a hard <laughs> decision. I mean, it's far from clear that even that decision was right. I mean, the, the jury is still out that maybe actually Roger's huge monetary commitment might have been on the wrong chain, which is horrible to say because it because if you play out the story in which Roger was protecting the network from Craig Wright and he like he put he invested I don't know if it was a, a million dollars whatever it was in protecting BCH that's a heroic story of the man putting his money on the line but if that might be the wrong story the story might be actually he spent that to to uh save Omri Sachet's butt who turned around to bite him and and grab make a protocol grab I'm well and Omri has treated him I mean has has been so disrespectful over the uh, commitment that he made, you know, oh, you haven't done anything for us. He actually, he actually went as far as to say that it was Roger's fault to begin with that Craig was ever involved and <laughs> yeah. that, that Roger, you know, that the million dollars that Roger spent and Bitcoin.com spent uh, basically, you know, protecting the chain, um, that, that, that doesn't count as Roger you know, helping ABC. Yeah. That, that was Roger saving his own ass because Roger does, had to have paid that money because his fault, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just so outrageous. Yeah. Okay, so a- as we wrap this up in the last couple minutes here, is there any chance of us coordinating a kind of parent trap scenario where we bring Roger and N-Chain back together again? Uh, <laughs> or is that ship sailed? Man, it looks like to me, it looks like there's a lot of bi- um, bitterness on both sides. And, and, and every time I think Roger is like possibly maybe going to, you know, come over to BSV, I'll see like Calvin or somebody else from SV say something that, that, that will make that a huge pill for him to swallow. I don't know. I, I love to see it, but it looks like it looks like some things may have been said by both sides to each other. Maybe things that we haven't even heard that would make that a really big pill to swallow, but I hope it can be swallowed. This is where if the business use and the technology becomes so irrefutably successful, then it's like you can hate somebody else who's a big player and still, you know, like I'm sure there are companies that hate other companies that also build on JavaScript. (laughs) I think, so here's my opinion on it, is the reality is that Bitcoin.com and Roger are not going anywhere. Like in the sense that they're going to be around 
they're going to be around regardless of what fork wins in the end of the day. Um, I have total confidence in that, you know, so if it ends up being BSV in the long run and that actually creates more freedom for the world and, and actually helps deliver the vision of Bitcoin, I don't, I don't think anything would, would I don't think that anything would stop Bitcoin.com from being involved in that. Absolutely. Or, or Roger. I mean, I can't speak for them, but I do think that um, the reality is like Roger's a very successful, savvy businessman. Um, I think he's, you know, more committed to, to Bitcoin than just about anybody else and making a digital currency work for the whole world. So um, I don't think that like personality differences or anything like that are going to play a long-term role. Um, so if BSV wants, you know, Bitcoin.com or Roger or something like that, like just keep, keep winning. We, we can um, say keep, if it, if it happens, it will not be an act of goodwill. It has to be an undeniable yeah. business case. Yeah, but I think if we're being real, uh, I, I would suspect far and away the reason that they would be hesitant to, or Roger would be hesitant to make up with BSV is the lawsuits. Yeah, I mean, the lawsuits. I'm, exactly. I mean, I've listened to Roger talk about it when people are asking him about BSV. He's like, ah, I can't get excited about it because lawsuits is the thing he brings up. So that's a legitimate criticism like i totally get that but in the long run that's gonna that's that's not something that's gonna make you a mortal enemy for uh all of time is I mean, especially if, if, if they stop a, it if they cut that crap out i think he'd yeah, probably I mean, be the best thing worse. bsv could do and the people involved could be like stop doing those crazy yeah. things towards people who actually matter right. i mean you know stop suing people that's that's just nefarious uh, and unless stupid. unless it's tk's strategy and they're like we want all of crypto to stay away from us because they're poisonous. And I if mean, we got to take down a few. Yeah, but Roger's influence on Bitcoin has but, only ever right, been Right, right, right. I agree. I mean, yeah. I agree. And I, I actually don't think that's what's happening. But I could, I could see a th scenario in which you would say, we might have to take a few good people with us because if Roger comes, he brings a whole army of weirdo community, you know, basement mm -hmm. anarchist types with him, whether it's whether for, for good or ill. Maybe we got to go attack everybody that's respected by everybody in Bitcoin and make sure that none of them come over here. I, I mean, that sounds crazy to me. It sounds unreasonable. It sounds unlikely to succeed. And I don't think it's what's actually happening. However, there is a scenario in which it would have some sense to it. Yeah. yeah well, there's I, another theory for, for lawsuits as well. Sorry, Steve. Um, okay. you, you go ahead, brother. No, no, TK. no. Good heavens. I interrupted before, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there's another potential uh, lawsuit theory as well, and I, I don't, I don't assign like a strong way to believe to this, but it's possible, and, and that is, um, it's less about pettiness and personal vendettas, and it's more about just having any good legal excuse to be able to drag out a bunch of data the rest of the world hasn't seen that 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 could could further um, th that could further Craig's agenda, right? So if he does have stuff that he can whip out in a court of law that can, you know, validate his claim to be Satoshi, give him certain legal rights and so forth. Um, that could be the kind of case that allows certain things to be, to be subpoenaed, certain things to come out and so forth. And it's a numbers game. Doesn't matter who it is, as long as you're one of the people that have been involved in certain so, private communications. So for example, let's say there's a whole bunch of emails between Craig and Roger, Craig and Peter McCormack, Blockstream and so-and-so. If you can get somebody into court, this gives you an excuse to subpoena a bunch of things. If you know conversations have happened that you want the rest of the world to see because it furthers your agenda, you look for any excuse, even if it's not a legitimate court case, to try to find a way to bring that stuff out. 
Yeah. And again, this is pure speculation. So my support of BSV isn't based on this being true, but we, we can, this would also explain why it's, it's less about, oh, my feelings are hurt over something that was said on Twitter. It, it would actually be a true case of libel because what it would mean is you would be able to pull out evidence that someone actually did know more than what they let on in public. And, and that they were trying to sabotage you because of maybe private agreements that were made. I, I think that's a possibility. But here's kind of a broader point for thinking about these things. I think it's important to back up from any loyalties to any particular blockchain and consider the implications of this entire battle. We, we are witnessing one of the greatest revolutions in history, right? And there are some people that are going to win big and lose big regardless of which blockchain wins. And, th and there are some serious people in power that are going to have their power undermined. A whole lot's going to change. And I think it's utterly naive to think that there is any big party in this game that is not going to employ some level of manipulation, deception, some level of sleight of hand. I don't think anybody who's coming out on top is is doing so with full transparency about everything they know, everything that they're up to, and everything that they have in their arsenal. I believe it is definitely the case for all major parties involved that there are things they're saying, talking about, and doing behind the scenes that they simply cannot afford to be transparent about or else it would compromise their agenda. So everybody should be asking themselves about their belief. Is it possible that I'm being manipulated? Everyone should ask themselves that, including the people who are rejoicing every week about the same predictable, repeatable, obvious mistakes that Craig is making that they're catching him in. So easily, right? The guy never learns. He keeps committing the same old mistakes, right? You should ask yourself the next time you celebrate one of those, are you being manipulated? Everyone should ask themselves that. Mm. So well, one thing in response to the, the theory that this is an attempt to have information come out in court that would further their case. I mean, I haven't followed the, the climbing case particularly closely, but from what I have gathered, it doesn't look like he's offered evidence that really supports his case. I mean, he's gotten in trouble with the judge for mischief. So, I mean, maybe there's more stuff behind the scenes that they haven't released, but so far along that line, I think he's... Well, okay, let me, yeah. let me counter that, Steve. Sure, let me counter okay. that. I don't know how many people know this, and maybe it's only people in Bitcoin Twitter, which would basically invalidate TK's claim that SB doesn't want Bitcoin Twitter to think anything. But I think that that court case, now everybody knows that there's this thing called a tulip trust. Everybody knows that Craig was supposed to get the keys in 2020. And now everybody knows that something arrived in 2020 in January. And both parties in the case okay. asked for more time to examine what arrived. Yeah. And like it has given him the opportunity to at least further that narrative in a way. Um, yeah. It's not, not rock solid proven, but it would, okay, he's obfuscating whatever because he's delaying because these keys are coming. Okay, then the keys actually came because even Kleiman's people said they want more time. Now they're unclear whether it's really from a bonded courier, but now they're looking yeah. for a bonded courier to bring into court the question. It's like, that's actually information that doesn't come out in a public way otherwise that I think benefits Craig's story. 
That that's a good point. I guess I interpreted the claim as the information that would come out would actually objectively support his case and not just like further the mystery, <laughs> which it, it certainly has it's, done. It just well, has to further the narrative that you're trying to push to be to be worth it in some fair. cases. In some cases, I guess there's, there's so many shenanigans going on. I I assume that it's, there's something else going on, like like that we don't always we don't necessarily know because it's it's so outrageous now and ridiculous the whole thing that I cannot believe that uh, it's just incompetence. I think I, I, I truly genuinely believe partly because there, I do there's, think there's that, no face value interpretation of events that holds any water. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, Enchin and, and, you know, what they're doing with, with, with Bitcoin, the general vision makes a lot of sense to me. And I find it hard to believe that people who are so competent in that area would be this dumb in the court of law. Maybe. I mean, maybe they would be. I don't know. I mean, Isaac's skeptical. Maybe he thinks that uh, people could be that dumb in the court of law. But uh, I tend to think still, regardless, there's something else going on. Well, it's it's also like that. I don't know. There was a thing Craig posted on Twitter a long time ago. It was, it was something like a, a computer program, like a Hello World basic computer program that, I don't know, it had a flaw in it. And everybody was like, ah, Craig couldn't even program a Hello World program to, to work. And it's like, well... Okay, I, I don't think highly of academia, let's put it as an understatement, but I think it's probably the case that somebody who is teaching courses on programming supercomputers and does have some amount of real certification in the computer security industry has the competence to program the most, literally the most elementary of computer programs. Like that's the first one, right, well, that you learn is the hello world. So if that's true though, you have to have an explanation why did he post it? Right. To, to me, it's more like, I don't care whether he teaches computer classes or has certifications, but apparently he's some, whether his money is someone else's money, he's somehow been able to be the chief technology officer of a company that employs like something like a hundred people. Yeah, it's like a hundred employees yeah. now. Somehow that keeps spending tons and tons of money on, on Bitcoin and, and wearing fancy suits and going all around. He's able to get people, to, even if you say he's totally a con man, he's clearly able to get smart people right. to do things for him. Why would he not, if he can't code, why would he not get someone who knows how to code to write that tweet well, for him? If his goal was right. to to you, he knew how to code. It's just right. Weird. It's that level of error that demands an explanation. <laughs> Some super <laughs> abstract thing and technical thing, you'd be like, okay, well, I don't know if it's an honest error, but that level of, of mistake, you got to think something well, else so, is going on. Same with the, the supposedly fraudulent documents, which are always the same mistake. It's like <laughs> typo, obvious typo or something like that, or obvious like date forgery. Uh, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I mean, do you keep making that exact same uh, trivial mistake? You're telling me that you can afford to finance mining, uh, uh, sometimes at a loss, but you can't afford to hire like a competent forgerist, even like for the most basic stuff, right? right? I mean, it, it does demand an explanation. Let, let me dive in here because I, I think this is an area where we let Craig's critics off the hook way too easily. We don't challenge them enough to substantiate a major assumption they're making. So let's go back to an earlier analogy I used in a previous call about, about the nature of games. Let's say Steve and I are playing a game. Steve has nine points. I have three points. Who's winning? Depends on the game. Depends on the game, right? So if we're playing baseball, Steve is winning. If we're playing golf, I'm winning. So what that means is whenever you make a statement about that guy's losing or that guy's winning, you are making an assumption about the kind of game they're playing. And if you cannot justify that assumption, 
then that's an irrational assumption, right? So when everybody evaluates Craig, they say, oh, he's losing, right? Because someone called him a fraud over here or, you know, someone caught him in a contradiction over here. But underneath the assumption, I mean, underneath the claim that he's losing is an assumption about what game he's playing. Here's the assumption. Now, we all agree that he's playing some kind of game, right? Um, but the assumption that almost everyone in crypto makes is that he's playing the get everyone to believe that I'm Satoshi game, get right. everyone to take me seriously game. And, and they see his results taking it in the opposite direction and they say, ha ha ha, he's losing. But my question is, what is your evidence to suggest that that's the game he's playing? I see zero evidence to suggest that that's his actual game. I think he's playing a game, but I don't think it's get everyone to take me seriously as this as Satoshi game. Well, and, and, so, I, and, I, and, and I would love to see some evidence that that's what he's playing. Well, so, so here would be one piece of evidence would be the wheelbarrow of degrees that he rolled out on stage to try to sound like he was authoritative in the domain. What would your explanation for that be if he's not trying to have some kind of prestige? Well, well, well I, I, think, I think he probably does care about prestige. That's different from playing the Satoshi game. Oh, the right? Satoshi specifically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think Craig is an, an academic. I think he's a research nerd. I think he clearly values being respected as an intellectual. Um, he values getting credit for his work. But I think that's different from saying he's playing the game of trying to get everyone to believe that he's Satoshi. Okay. So what is your, what is your running theory for why he keeps claiming so brazenly now that he is Satoshi? I think this is exceptionally easy and I'm astounded for why anybody sees this as difficult. Here's okay. my answer. Um, if we're, we're insulting our intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also putting pressure on myself to see if I can <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself a challenge to make it more fun, right? Um, so let's assume for a second that, that his story is true. That would mean that once upon a time, the dude was not trying to let people know that he was Satoshi. And there's a lot of footage where Craig is going around speaking, like the panel discussion with Adam Beck and Nick Zabo, whatever, where he's saying some things about crypto but he's not claiming to be Satoshi. He'll say things like, yeah, I've been around for a long time. Oh, Bitcoin, whatever. But he's not saying I'm Satoshi. He clearly doesn't prioritize that. If his story is true, that means he was involuntary outed. Now, I know for people who believe he's fake Satoshi, that's supposed to be staged. But let's assume for a moment that Craig's story is true because we're only evaluating the internal consistency of it. That would mean he's involuntary outed. He did not want to be outed. He went through a ton of crap for that. He was afraid. His family life changed forever. His life was put in jeopardy. And now he's pissed off, right? And he has this moment where he says he's going to sign the keys. He has a change of heart and decides not to because he kind of freaks out. He rethinks everything. And now he's out it and everybody's mocking him. We can say there's a difference between owning the truth about who you are and psychologically needing everyone to accept that truth. Now that the dude has been outed as Satoshi, he's reconciled himself with that fact and he's owning it. He's saying, this is who I am. But there's a difference between saying this is who I am and needing to prove it. So I'll give you an everyday example. Let's say, let's say um, you, you, you said to me, you know, um, hey, TK, have you been friends with Isaac for over 10 years? Are you, are you close friends with Isaac? And I say, yeah, I am. 
and you say to me, well, I don't believe you, prove it. I'm going to say, sorry, dude, I don't have the time, right? I'm willing to own the truth about who I am, but I have nothing to gain by proving to you that I'm friends with Isaac. It doesn't matter to me if you mock me about that, if you think I'm lying about that. Everything that is true of me that I'm willing to own, it is not necessary for me to feel the importance of proving it. So when Craig goes and talks about Bitcoin, if he really is Satoshi and he's ready to own that, why would he not say it? The fact that he's not willing to play your game of prove it isn't a contradiction to that. Yeah, TK, I can, uh, I can personally relate, as you guys know. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, I, I'm not going to get into it deeply, but exactly how I felt. I mean, and, and people still, sometimes some people, some assholes, just because they have an agenda, will occasionally do something. And, and my thought is always, again, the same. It's like, why would I bother talking to you? I have nothing to gain right now about playing that game online with you to, to some random loser. Um, yeah, like, the psychological hey. need is not there, and there's nothing practically to gain either. Well, so this is where I would disagree um, with the Satoshi claims. There's definitely a lot practical to gain to be a cult leader. I mean, that's why people do it because there's a lot to gain. So well, unlike the, the you know, friendship the example, between, like, Hey, people are coming to, to you, Derek and saying, Hey, I think bad things about you prove me wrong. You're like, well, what the hell? Whereas yeah. Craig is like going out there and boldly making these claims and also like insulting and inciting people, begging them to challenge his claim and then, and then refusing to meet the challenge and be like, cause I don't care what you think. Well, he wasn't originally doing that. So I wonder no, what he wasn't, but that like, happened at some point. He's also not just saying, Oh, screw you. He's also putting forward forged documents. So like imagine TK's response was to, have a bunch of fake evidence. It's like, what are you doing? Why? Like I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you and I'm stirring you up and I'm saying, I'm making a claim and I'm holding it in your face and I'm going to force you to, to ask me to prove it. And then when you ask me, I'm going to you got make, nothing. prove it with something that makes it even more dubious. And then I'm going to sue you when you say that I'm providing dubious proof. Exactly. It's such a strange, it's like maybe he's a tortured soul who both wants everyone's approval and shuns it at the same time. I don't know. So, so let me give an example of, of, a kind, of, of one of many kind of games I can conceive him playing. Suppose one that he's Satoshi, and suppose many of the people who play the public game of not believing that he's Satoshi actually knows that he's Satoshi too, right? Suppose there are people, and this shouldn't be hard to imagine, suppose there are people in crypto who stand to lose a lot of clout and credibility and money if it turns out that Craig is Satoshi, right? Because he would be a major threat to their clout and their agenda, right? So suppose there are people that play the public game of I don't believe him, he's a fraud, but privately they know he's Satoshi. And, and you're Craig Wright. And you're talking to the people who you know they know you're Satoshi. And they're saying, prove it, prove it. And, and you also know that by proving it, you make yourself vulnerable in ways, right? You, 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 you can kind of compromise your agenda I could easily see you putting it out there and those people getting mad and saying, prove it. And you say, nope, I'm, I'm not going to play your game of proving it your way because that's going to compromise the very strategy I have for getting you guys back and, and, and for proving to the rest of the world at the right time that I know what you guys are pretending not to know. Like that, that's just one of many possible scenarios. So I do think it is important to him that people believe he's Satoshi. 
but but just because something is important to you doesn't mean that it's that it's important for you to have it in any way possible for craig there there's a group of people that he wants to convince first and there is a time where he wants to convince people because that's an important part of his agenda i believe that he has a bigger agenda than being seen as satoshi I think he wants that last, but he has to position himself people, to win first. And signing the keys, I've made this argument elsewhere. Signing the keys right now, if he's Satoshi, is probably will the use knowledge and that thing you can do. they know. Uh, they know if they know that you can't say something, mm-hmm. they will use that against you. Absolutely, and I, I've experienced it firsthand. If they know that there's something that you have, even if they know if they know you're right, and yet they know that you're not going to engage in that game because you can't or because you have something bigger to lose. They will use that against you. Absolutely. It's, and, it, and it's from the perspective of the person um, who's on that side, who's like having that used against them, it's like infuriating. It's so, so maddening. So, so I, I, if, if the story is true, I can understand that. I think a lot of people just don't think with enough nuance about why someone might not want to reveal the truth despite wanting people to believe that it's true. But, but it, with the thing to do to be released forged documents like i still don't see the explanation for that part of the story well it, it certainly means you're playing some kind of game right so here's my question for you what, what what kind of game might i be playing if i'm submitting things or releasing things or allowing you to easily find things that 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 makes it look like i shouldn't be taken seriously are there ever games where we benefit from that i mean yeah in the case of of crypto i think it's very plausible that he would explicitly want respectable people not to think that he's Satoshi for like life and death purposes. I mean, if, 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 if people in intelligence agencies or governments have concrete, definite proof that he is in fact Satoshi, I mean, I could see that being or, a, or even a threat the, to his health. Or even to the crypto influencers, there is a scenario in which if you know that you are Satoshi, and especially if you know that they know, but they know that you are not going to compromise yourself in some way by proving it in, in you know, indisputably, they're going to keep saying, prove it, prove it. And they know that you're not going to do it. And so one game, if you, if you have an end game in mind where you will eventually is to keep feeding stuff that only enhances their voice and ratchets up the eventual cost to them when they are proven wrong by forcing them. If you release forged documents, they can't just stop making that claim anymore once they've said it once. Now all their followers will feed them even more and demand that they ratchet it up even more and demand that they basically go all in on my entire reputation is staked on Craig not being Satoshi now publicly. So it's a way of calling their bluff right yeah. back at them. It's like, hey, I know that you know I'm Satoshi and now I'm going to feed stuff that will make your followers so sure I'm not Satoshi. You have to keep ramping up your game of saying I'm not Satoshi and increasing your own yeah. risk of if there's an eventual discovery. It's like, like a I'll leave crypto if Craig is Satoshi. Backs against the wall, you know. It's a it's a it's a crazy poker move. And, you know, it makes me think about um, a, a slave analogy where where like when slaves were planning like um, rebellion, um, w- when they would get amongst each other. The leader would talk very articulately about the plan, right? Clearly, this person has a ton of knowledge. Um, then, you know, when the slave master comes around, oh, size don't mean no trouble. They can barely talk, right? They sound really dumb. And what does that illustrate? It means that 
sometimes it's very smart to play dumb when you're talking with someone that has the ability to hinder your agenda before it has progressed farther enough. Um, and, and, I, I, and, and I'm not saying that, that Craig is playing dumb, but, but here is something that he must by necessity be doing. Um, and, and that is, he's not telling us everything that he knows all at once, right? And, and so th- this is another area where I think it's important to evaluate the difference between Calvin's position and all the people that celebrate with, with glee every time a new document from the courts get released and they go, oh, let's analyze this, ha ha, another contradiction. Where Calvin stands is he's seen that everything that Craig has to offer all at once, right? Like, I want you to answer all my questions. I want to see all the documents. I want to see everything at once. Every rusty staple. Every rusty and staple. coffee stain. <laughs> and he's put a lot of money into it. Um, now, you know, now, it, now, by the way, it doesn't mean that even if Craig is doing all these things, it doesn't mean his strategy is good or executed well. And even if Calvin is doing all those things, it doesn't mean that he's not wrong, but it, it, you, it forces you to acknowledge that that is at play. Yeah, that, that all of us are looking at information that's coming to us in bits and pieces. And, and if there's anything that we can prove from Craig's story is that this guy seems to have a litany of documents, even if you think they all make him look stupid, that the majority of people haven't seen. We don't, right. we can't make a decision on the whole story. We got to bring it home. Everybody, you get one final word and then we're shutting her down. <laughs> final word. Oh crap. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I definitely think that uh, it, BSV is on the edge of crushing everything in the crypto industry by being the big bot Bitcoin that was always possible. And in my mind, it just takes really one major business trying a new use case successfully, and it's kind of game over. I do think there's a sense in which they've already solved a lot of scaling problems. I think if you embrace the concept that reorgs are not the end of the world, and it's a problem for miners, and it's not necessarily a problem for the rest of the users of the network, I think they get too many things right to compete with. I pretty much agree with that. And I would just say, I, I think everything that's happening in BCH right now compared to BSV, I mean, it should be a wake up call for people in BCH. And if you don't wake up, then, then sucks. Right. But I don't, I don't personally intend on going down with the ship. Yeah. <laughs> TK. Um, I'll, See, I'll I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> I'll end with the parable from the Bible. Jesus tells the parable of, of a father and two sons. The father goes to the first son and, and he says, will you uh, tend the vineyard? And the son says, no, I will not do it. Um, and then he goes away, later has a change of heart and actually tends the vineyard. Uh, the second son, the father says, will you tend the vineyard? And he says, yes, father, I will do it. Uh, he was pleased with him. The son goes away and he just doesn't actually do it. And Jesus says, which one was, was the right person? Was it the person who said the right things or was it the person who did the right things? And, and, and the answer was, it was the person who did the right things. There are a lot of people in crypto who say all the right things. They, they talk about freedom. They talk about anarchy. They, they, they talk about options and all these wonderful things. And I think the important thing to focus on is not who has the, the rhetoric that makes us the most, most comfortable or inspired, but who's actually doing the things that crypto needs to do in order to win and give us the free market money we've all been hoping for. And I think BSV is the only 
one, the only community where those conversations are not only happening, but where the actual work is being done. So don't let the status sounding labels or the controversial sounding labels of BSV keep you from looking a little bit further beyond the manipulation of perception that's going on. Gentlemen, the reason that I, I do these videos with you is because I find them personally fun and fulfilling and enjoyable. And that's also why I'm involved in talking about Bitcoin more generally following it. And if it ceases, it can be hard, it can be frustrating, it can be a challenge, but if it ceases to be personally fun and enjoyable and fulfilling and adding some value and enrichment to your life, then it's time to walk away or find a version that does do those things. Uh, so that's, that's why I'm here. I'm here for selfish reasons because I enjoy it. And uh, I hope all of us will keep that in mind. Great chatting with you guys. Until next time.